In fact, I've been listening to back episodes of, of your show. Oh, how far back? Some of them are bad. Well, no, 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 recent, recent. I mean, I'm oh. catching up. You know, usually when I'm not on your show, pff, I don't listen. But uh, I've been trying to listen to them. <laughs> I'm not on, uh-huh. and uh, I listened to one recently, um, which you talked a great deal with you and some guy named Dan. I think Danovan maybe was his name. Okay. And Jash, uh, those guys. <laughs> And I came up quite a bit, and I thought that was that was very sweet. And I sort of put it all together. I finally figured out our relationship, Stella. I figured out who you and I are. Have you ever seen the show Friends? I have. Okay. I've, you are Monica. Okay. And I am Dr. Richard Burke, uh, Tom Selleck's character. Okay. See, I'm, I'm the older, more sophisticated guy that you want to be with, but it just doesn't – for some reason, we just can't make it work. And so you end up with the dweeby guy, Donovan, I mean Chandler, and I, he can't get his film career going once his show's over. So um, that's kind of that's where we sit, I think. In this reality, where does Tom Panarese fall in and then Josh Bertoni? Josh is without a doubt Joey. Okay. And Tom is definitely Ross. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if you would appreciate it. So then, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So... I'm Tom Selleck. I'm Magnum <laughs> PI. That's how that works. Oh, Meg. But hey, you're you're Courtney Cox. That's that's pretty awesome. She's pretty hot. She used to be chubby though. No, she didn't. Oh, the character did. But yeah. yeah, Monica was big, remember? But if you go back and watch Misfits of Science, she was anything. She was chubby. She was gorgeous as a young girl. Okay. I remember By the she way, was the screen. Speaking of girls being hot, I really appreciate having me. Well, we were talking about Monica. Or what a segue. Okay. Well, no, no, no. I, th- I said Courtney Cox was hot. And I just say I think it's incredibly uh, brilliant on your, on your part to have your minority report mm-hmm. where you talk about the sensitivity to minorities and genders. And then you have me on the next episode or maybe an episode or two later. Is, th- is that really logical? I mean, I represent everything against gender friendliness, don't I? I guess maybe, but am I, am but, I the counterpoint? Is that why I'm here? Well, the thing about you is, though, that you appreciate women of all shapes and sizes. True. So you're a pretty diverse lover of the female form. Because I mean, I asked you, I pushed you on Amanda Waller. Yes, yes. And you were fine with that. And then you are somewhat against Velvet Tiger, especially when she's a twelve-year-old. Well, I, that's just wrong. Yeah. Now, I guess. I guess. Well, I do. I don't think I objectify women because I still appreciate who they are as a person. I just mm-hmm. happen to notice how attractive they are. So, is that possible? Can does that work? Does that still make me a bad person? I I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure there are people in the audience shaking their heads. <laughs> that would be Tom and Josh and Donovan, yes, and probably. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute... Something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It's 
took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 117 for April MMXVI. Barcode the Oracle is brought to you by the Fire and Water Podcast Network's Who's Who. Kalabak, Tassad, it is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who Podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Dippolita, Phantom Stranger, Ditchwick, Danarizia, and Woody Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Who's who? The definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Macro the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are Maze Batgirl 52 and Gotham Academy number 18, both for $2.69. 
So if you're looking for vintage back issues or great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Batgirl the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. And so uh, the Minority Report, I'm only on hour 16 of it right now. So okay. I'm really looking forward to wrapping You're getting it up close to within the, end. the next couple months. Okay. So, it's very enjoyable. Some, <laughs> some people go 10% at a time. That's what Professor Allen said. Uh, <laughs> Tom yelled at me when he said five hours, and I tried to explain it, but he just kept shouting, five hours, five hours. Actually, what he was saying is he was tired from listening. He needed one of those five-hour energy drinks to get through it is what he actually meant. Oh. It's okay. okay. I'm here to translate. Sounds so you hung out with Professor Allen? Really? I did. <sighs> Apparently, he's coming to my neck of the woods, too. Is he really? Yeah. Better guard your quarter bin box. He's going to take them all. I, I was wondering if we, we'll probably go to that place that Tom took you, but it was closed. Oh, I peeked through the window. It looked pretty yeah. cool. So we'll probably go there, and I'm sure I asked if we could get a picture by the quarter bin, if we find a quarter bin box. <laughs> um, I then suggested we, like, retrace the steps that you took, and that's where that quote came from where he said, I don't want to go down that man's path that takes him to bad places. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, with, with Professor Allen coming to town, you should probably notify the local restaurants to take all their free condiments and anything that's free or inexpensive and move it behind the counter. Because, again, the man's cheap. He's just going to come in and clean out the ketchup out of all the Wendy's and pretty much give his own supply for a year at home is how that works. That's that's how he affords all these comic books. Do you think he lives on, like, vending machines? And Well, not vending machines because those are more expensive, but those things where you put the little the 25 cent and you turn it, you know, and you get, like, juju beans out of it? I don't think you can really get it. Oh, the candy. Okay, I was going to say, I don't think you can get anything substantial for a quarter nowadays, except for maybe a container of ramen noodles. That maybe what he's surviving on is like one of those four for a dollar kind of sales on ramen noodles. That may be what, that's probably what he raised Emily on, uh, which is just terrible. Just that is terrible. disservice to her. It's, it's, it is astonishing she turned out as wonderful as she is with <laughs> his parenting skills. What if she's a robot? I've met her. She's very sweet. I've met her a couple times. Okay. So she's not a robot. She didn't strike me as a robot. If she is, she's astonishing. Well, see, that'd be expensive. Have you ever seen the Stepford Wives? Um, Shockingly, no, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm familiar with it. (laughs) I I did press him on it, and I think I discovered that he um, paid about 25 cents for his wife's engagement ring. I kind of picked up on that in the comments on Facebook. That's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. He may have gotten it from those little quarter vending machines. Oh, goodness. Because oh, they have my. them in those little, you know, those plastic balls. He probably got like a stick of gum and just <laughs> took the wrapper and wrapped it around and <laughs> well, the foil. Nice. And, you yeah. Know, it'd be sweet, but really, yeah. come on, Professor Allen. <laughs> so uh, how have you been, Stella? I've been well. How was your phone? Oh, man, my phone, which is now the Tinkle phone. That's what I like to call it. Oh, because Lord, no, in the toilet. Yeah, I oh, know. I yeah. know. But I, so, you know, I don't know. It was probably the first time I've ever decided to take the phone to the bathroom, but I was taking it in there. Sure. I, this is serious. I oh. dropped it on the counter. It made a parabolic arc and dropped it into the toilet. You know, now, that's the kind of fun, creative story anyone makes up when reality was they were sitting on the can and dropped it, but whatever. So, anywho, I didn't even think about it, just reaching, whoosh, powered it down, you know, let it air dry, did the rice trick. You're welcome. Having, uh, yes, thank you. Uh, still is having some problems with the um, 
with powering it on. There's some signs of life with Google searching. But now <laughs> it seems like it's okay. It did have a bit of a meltdown over the weekend. So I don't know mm. if it's still like, you know, it may be a little finicky now. I have to be careful. But I, I'm just glad I didn't have to go out and shell out, you know, $200 to buy another phone. Right. Well, I, uh, I'm glad your phone's okay because I was a little worried because our phones have, uh, well, they've, they've copulated before. As oh, you that's descri- true? As you described it during lunch or dinner. And, I don't remember saying that. Uh, yeah, you did. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's on tape too. But anyway, and, and so, you know, every phone my phone's ever been with, though, is sort of, sort of been with every other phone. So I'm, I just didn't want my phone to catch whatever your phone had, you know, that kind of thing. Well, this Mainly selfishness. Dirty now. Well, so how else are you doing? What's been up in Stella's life? Um, not much. When I, you know, had spring break, which mm-hmm. I very much enjoyed just being away from work and enjoying my time. I've actually been making my way through the Clone Wars TV series. Oh, very good. And- I've never seen it before. I'm very much enjoying it. And I remember we had a discussion on uh, the lady who voices Ahsoka. Yes, she's awesome. Yeah, we talked about her and her clothing line and everything and sort of... Ashley Eckstein, right? Yes, yep. Yes. And, and trying to spread the wealth, I guess, of geekery among mm-hmm. girls and things like that. So that's great. And then Supergirl, I just watched the season finale. Yes. And so should we say anything? Do we want, do we, I guess we shouldn't spoil anything for anybody. Well, how, how soon till this goes out? Next Wednesday. Yeah, well, we should probably stay quiet. Okay. okay. But, but I enjoyed it, and I liked that there was like a quasi happy, you know, ending. Um, yeah. But then, of course, there had to, you know, something had to happen during their little dinner at the end. I do have to say, and I wonder. I thought about you and your daughter when I was mm-hmm. watching the Red Kryptonite episode. Yeah. Because for me, it was so hard to watch this like really sweet and nice person be that way. And those were the fun ones for me to watch with Clark. Especially because I knew like Clark and Lana would, you know, there'd be some shipping there. But this one was hard for me to watch. Was it hard for you to watch and and for your daughter? It was sad to see her act that way. Um, I think my daughter was coloring that night, so I don't know if she had (laughs) attention on that one. Usually she's fully wrapped, but I want to say that episode she was kind of like, Kara's not acting good, Daddy, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, she understood why Kara's behavior was that way. I had to explain Red Kryptonite to her. But, uh, and then I got all excited because they reenacted Superman 3. Um, you probably don't know anything about that, though, do you? I don't. Seriously? I've actually not seen any of the Supermans. Christopher Reed. Oh. You're breaking up. <laughs> I have to go. This call is over. Oh. Um, I've thought about getting the Target 4-pack. I don't know. Do it. It's, it's like 10 bucks. Yeah. Yes. And don't watch Superman 4. But Superman 3, he turns evil oh. due to some bad kryptonite. And there's a scene where he's in a bar and he flips over the bowl of peanuts and starts flicking the peanuts at the liquor bottles, oh. which is exactly what she does. And so, like, I'm cheering and screaming and laughing and all this stuff. And she's like, I don't understand, Daddy. <laughs> but um, she she was OK with that episode. She didn't mind. Okay. She 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 the one where the the aunt got killed. She did not like seeing that. Um, she did not like seeing the aunt being oh, okay. killed. Here I'm not, thinking of an insect, but really you mean? No, her. Oh yes, her genuine A U N T. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's so much she was connected to that character. She just didn't like watching someone die. It just right. Upset her a little bit. Yeah. But she was excited for the season finale, and then we all sat around and debated what the cliffhanger might be. Yeah. Uh, so, 
good stuff. And I, I, I love that they got Laura Vanderhoot from Smallville. <gasps> I know, like right? Brainiac. I don't remember her character's name on the show. Um, the new, what the what? She's like Brainiac Eight or something, but she's got a different Indigo. Is that her Indigo, name? Indigo, yeah. yeah. So she's smoking hot too, by the way. Oh, here but, we go. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> Come on. If you've ever watched V, you understand what I'm talking about. I did watch some of those. She took her clothes off every episode. Bless Ooh, her. I, I thought the Queen mostly did that. Marina Bacaran. She's not too shabby either. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so are you up to date on Flash? I Except for tonight's, yes. Okay. Tonight's kind of a big one. Did you already watch it? Yeah. Okay. With my family. With your red t- tornado time. No, that's um, <laughs> I what? I mean, I'm just a little confused. I feel like there's a clone saga going on. Yeah. With uh, Jay and everything. They and explain huh? it all. That they explain it all this week. Okay, so that'll be good to hear. I do have to say, in a recent Who's Who episode, you talked mm-hmm. about um, Legends of, of Tomorrow. I've heard of that show. It's a pretty good show. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow and that you, you weren't as engaged in it. I have to I have to agree with you that I'm not as engaged in that particular series compared That's to the all other. I have to say about that. It's uh I mean it's there are like good episodes and there are like okay episodes, but they're never astounding. And there are some characters that I'm more intrigued with and want to learn more about and others that I really don't care as much about. For the people at home who don't know me, and why you don't know me, frankly, I, I don't understand. But um, I have a 16-year-old stepson and a 10-year-old daughter. And they are both big fans of superheroes, and we watch these shows together. And I love it because, the, the as far as I'm concerned, the, the Kreisberg-Berlanti empire has made wonderful family viewing for me and my family, which is great. Thrilled about that. Anyway, uh, about the third or – probably the third episode of Legends Tomorrow, my 10-year-old daughter turns to me and goes, Daddy – do we have to watch this show anymore? <laughs> and my stepson goes, yeah, can we drop this one? So we'll just leave that at that. When the children have spoken. Are you like force watching it? Next question. Oh, okay. So you're done, though. I'm done. What do you think about Cap- – It has Firestorm on it, and I'm done. Can you believe it's- that? Well, yeah. No, actually, I can't because – I know. Me either. I'll catch it on Netflix, I'm sure. Do you think Sarah Lance and Captain Cold will make a good couple? Um, she's lesbian, right? <laughs> well, I think she's bisexual. She had oh, a relationship okay. with Ollie Oliver Queen. Yeah, but has she had any male relations since then? Because yeah. in in several of the episodes, I mean, she's made references to saying like your girlfriend's more my type, things yes. like that. Yes. Yeah, so I got the impression she used to be heterosexual and then decided homosexual is more her preference. Oh. Perhaps, perhaps she is bi. Maybe that is the case. Yeah. Either way, I love Captain Cold. I can. <laughs> he's he amazing. is yeah. so good. Yep. Now, ironically, he's gay in real life, which is kind of funny. That but, he is, yep. So uh, that we're having that discussion and all the different characters. But he's awesome. He is so cool. Like, watching him on that show or on Flash makes me want to go back and rewatch Prison Break. Mm-hmm. He's just that good. Yeah, I've never seen Prison Break. Oh my gosh! Well, use, use that use that hacked Netflix account you have. Um, <laughs> you know me so well. I know you. I do. I know you so well. Oh, That's God. because I'm your Richard. Anyway, um, I, I assume it's still out there. It was, it was Prison Break was out there last. I year. I think it may be on. Yeah, it was there last year, and I watched all of the first season of Prison Break, 
dang, it was great. Mm-hmm. Now, it's the second episode, second season. We got a little ways in, and I started to sort of peter off because it's no longer a prison break. Now it's a runaway because they oh. broke out. Okay. But um, first season's so good. Okay. And it's only two seasons, isn't it? I think it's like four, but I think oh. I think America only watched two. Okay. I thought it was very short-lived, <laughs> but there, I guess four is enough. And this I'm, is officially um, Shag and Stella season two. I know. Well, the, the, the cliffhanger last season was so dramatic. I was it curious was, how this season was going to kick off. So far, it's uh, a little anticlimactic, but... Well, hopefully it'll get better. We had our ups and our downs. Yeah, yeah. But I think we, we might be finding a level a level field. Is this I'm hoping... Se- is, is this the season where they wrote Josh off the show? I was pretty sure they did. I'm not sure. Okay. It's, it's yet to be seen. But hopefully uh, a special guest star, Remington. Not this episode. Maybe in, <laughs> maybe in episode two of the season. Okay. Uh, okay, well, Shag is on for a very particular reason. And it's because because I'm awesome. He's on she for two adores reasons. Me. That may be one of them. And I'm, the Richard, other, I'm her Richard Burke. That's oh, my I'm gosh. Saying. And then the other thing is that we're going to cover some 1995 oldies but goodies. Maybe. Maybe not. I think we are. Okay. I, if we're not, I sure wasted a lot of prep time. Oh, no. But one of them is a miniseries, I guess you could call it, called yeah. Underworld and Unleashed. And, and this was coming out around the time. Were you still managing a comic shop at this time? I was, actually, yeah. I was working at the store when this came out. So what, what was the uh, situation like? Okay. What, what was it like, you know, when this was coming out and... What were people's reactions? And well, you got to understand, this is you know 1995. This mm-hmm. is the era of Wizard Magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with Wizard Magazine. Are you? I, I am. I am. Yes. Okay. Um, it was it was a phenomenon. It was huge. Everybody bought it. Everyone read it. Everyone loved it. And nowadays, it's looked back on very negatively and sourly and things like that for the things it did to the industry, artificially inflating prices, um, a lot of speculator pushing and a lot of questionable stuff as far as which comics increased in value versus which companies were advertising in Wizard that month. There's a lot of questions there. But either way, it was a very popular magazine. And it sort of drove the industry at that point as far as fandom goes. There was no internet per se to peep for, well, there was a little bit, but not much. So Wizard loved Marvel and loved Image. And they were always trumpeting them. And DC, they took a pretty hard beating quite often in, in, in Wizard Magazine, unless there was a big event like Death of Superman, Batman Breaks His Back, you know, whatever. But one of the things they used to beat on DC was for their lame villains. And so DC decided to uh, – well, it wasn't – they basically – maybe I shouldn't say they were lame villains, but they would always say Marvel's villains were better. They'd say, who's cooler, Doctor Doom or Rainbow Raider? You know, that kind of jokey thing is what they would compare. And they would try and point out that Marvel's villains are better. So DC decided to step up their game. DC decided to ramp up the threat of their villains. And so Mark Wade was brought on board to write this miniseries called Underworld Unleashed. And that was the point of this, uh, the, the, the point of this storyline. And, and the main theme of this Underworld Unleashed book, basically it involves this character named Neuron, who is in fact a demon. And when I say demon, I mean, yes, he is from H.E. Double Hockey Sticks. He is the new ruler of that realm, in fact. And he goes around and offers many DC characters and villains, heroes and villains, their greatest desire in exchange for their soul. This is a straight up, you know, devil story, you know, sell your soul to the devil. And the, DC was hoping this could really 
raise the profile of their villains, make DC more popular, and, and kind of get it going. Now, years later, Mark Wade came back, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said basically the idea of amping up the villains and making them more dark and edgy, he says that whole thing was wrongheaded. He says DC was basically embarrassed by their Silver Age concepts at that point, and, he, he, and they made this decision to make everyone edgy. Well, he regrets that, and because over the next decade, a lot of clever writers found ways to bring those Silver Age elements back in very organic ways and ways that made sense without taking the joy out of them. And so Mark sort of regrets this. He regrets writing this particular story? I don't think he regrets writing this story. Is I think he regrets their effort to amp up the villains in such a way by making them less fun and mm-hmm. more – because there is no joy in these villains. These are the dark 90s edgy right. type of villains. Yeah. Whereas a lot of these characters, especially the rogues and stuff, they were fun. Mm-hmm. They were fun to read about in the Bronze Age. And here in the, the modern age or the 90 chromium age, whatever you want to call it, they, they had to – well, that's, that's the expression I hear, chromium age. They had to make them you know, extreme you know, kind of thing. Thanks, Tom. That's not Tom. Uh, that was Tom. It, Tom. it is Tom. Well, it's, everyone says it though. Okay. Uh, in fact, you should check out uh, – there's a guy named Nathaniel Wayne who's one of my online nemeses. I have, oh. I have several. And he – well, he volunteered to be one. Anyway, he has a comic. Uh, Why would you volunteer to be a nemesis? I think he listened to a couple of my shows and decided that he was going to come after me. <laughs> okay. Anyway, he does a show called 90s Comics Retrial, which is a lot of fun. It's, he literally puts comics from the 90s on trial to decide whether they're guilty or not of 90s you know, like wrongheadedness. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So it's pretty good. Not that I want to say anything nice about Nathaniel, but it's an enjoyable show. Okay. Despite him. So a couple different things about Underworld Unleashed. You've, have you read Underworld Unleashed now? Yes. Okay. A couple different things they, they did in this was they, they put metallic ink, metallic green ink on the cover of the three issues, which was like a big whoop-de-doo. Uh, metallic ink was, you know, it was, it was the 90s. It had to have some sort of cover enhancement, right? Mm-hmm. And they crossed the heck out of this thing. If you count the three issues of Underworld Un- Unleashed, you count all the crossover issues, and you count, count all the specials, it's a total of 49 comics in this crossover. With only a three-issue miniseries. Exactly. A three-issue miniseries, which included all those crossovers, and four of those comics were actually one-shot specials, one of which we're going to talk about in great detail in just a little mm-hmm. bit. And did you notice anything about the art in this storyline of Underworld Unleashed? Not 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 the special we're going to talk about, but the the main series, Underworld Unleashed. The... Did you love it? Hate it? Recognize it? It did look familiar to me, but I, I couldn't place it. It was Howard Porter, and I believe this is probably the storyline that got him the gig drawing Grant Morrison's JLA. Oh, okay. So you know, Grant Morrison's seminal run on JLA was drawn almost exclusively by Howard Porter. Okay. And um, this is this is the first time I really remember Howard Porter tackling a big name series. He had done a lot of work for DC at this point, but this mm-hmm. is the first time I remember him getting a big big deal like this. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of the art in this miniseries. I like Howard Porter's art. I like his JLA and I like his stuff before this, but this just just looks kind of messy to me. It's a lot of stuff going on on the page. Not mm-hmm. my favorite. Yeah, and some of the characters are done better than others. Yep. I think like. There are just some like moments like, oh, wow, that's really good. And others that I, I think you're right about that. Yep. They also timed this to come out around Halloween. In fact, issue three of Underworld Unleashed was released on Halloween of two- 1995. Nicely well done there. So what was your general impression of Underworld Unleashed? Did you feel like 
from beginning to end that they took the villains and made them more of a reasonable threat to the DC Universe? I'd say so, if only because, like, finally, you know, some of the villains, like Cheetah, for example, could actually hold their own and not be, like, toppled so easily. But were their stories as interesting? No. Like, I think they lost their character, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. Well, I would say it. they put a lot of effort into it, and we're, we are going to talk a lot about this, because the, the story we're going to cover talks a lot about these characters. But at the end of the day, when, when Underworld Unleashed was over, and these 50 characters, maybe, that they, they messed around with is probably about the right number, not a lot came out of this in the, in the long run. I would say the two characters... You know, if we say most lasting effects of Underworld Unleashed, who who was impact the most in the long run? I would say it's probably tied between Metallo and Blockbuster. Mm, because, right, yeah. Because in this story, this is where Metallo stops just being a robot or an android or a cyborg, whatever, and becomes a, a mechanical creature that can grab any other piece of metal and morph it into itself. I mean, that, that became Metallo's way all through the 90s and 2000s. Any, any piece of metal he got near, he would grab it, graft it, and do what he wanted with it. And uh, this is where that story happens. So Metallo had very lasting effects. Blockbuster went from just being a big strong guy to becoming what he was ultimately all through the Nightwing run. Mm-hmm. You know? So I would say those were the two that were probably affected the most. Runners-up, perhaps, and this is a bit of a stretch, but I would say probably Lex Luthor and Blue Devil. Lex Luthor because up to this point, through all of post-crisis, he had been either the overweight Lex Luthor or the long red-haired clone Lex Luthor. Either way, he'd never been sort of his svelte, bald version from pre-crisis. You know, in the old days, he was always a skinny, bald dude, right? Right. Well, in all of the post-crisis, he wasn't like that. And in this storyline, he's restored to health, and that is his look from then on. So while I don't know that this story is necessary in Luther's history to explain it, it did put him to that point where he would keep that look for the rest of, you know, history, whatever. Mm-hmm. The other, Am I boring you? You sound like you're falling asleep. No, well, I was also wondering if, what you thought about Trickster. Oh, interesting. Um, in the sort of, like, because he's almost, like, the main character. Like, he's almost a narrator. He's definitely there for the audience. No doubt about that. Yeah. Let, me come, let me finish running through these, and I'll go right back to Trickster. Okay. Good point. Blue Devil's the other runner-up. Because Blue Devil was transformed from being a superhero to being basically kind of a demon sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And as terrible and as horrible as it was, that did stick around for a long time. So I would think Daredevil's probably – I'm sorry, not Daredevil. Blue Devil's probably (laughs) – And finally, honorable mentions. And these – I might be too close to these two. But one of them is Ocean Master because he got a magical staff, which then he still – Play, he never had a magical staff prior to that. And to this day, Ocean Master still has a magical staff, and these magical staffs play a big role in the Aquaman series in New 52. So I think that that's sort of worth mentioning. And Killer Frost, she got a new look and maintained that look all the way up until... I mean, even her look nowadays is pretty much a modification of that look she got in this storyline. So, now, mentioning Killer Frost and Ocean Master... I do a podcast about Aquaman and Firestorm. I might be a little too close to those honorable mentions, but it seemed worth mentioning to me. Now, Trickster, absolutely. He is the voice of the audience. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I'm, I ain't making with the smarts, so I don't know my book reading, my book learning, so I don't know what you call that as a writer's tool. But, yes, he is the through point for the audience. 
And um, I've always loved the Trickster. Uh, when I first encountered the Trickster, it was actually in the Blue Devil series, which is where they started to turn him from being a villain into being sort of a hero is not the right word, but at least a protagonist mm-hmm. is where they started to turn him around in the Blue Devil series. So I've always had a very soft spot for the Trickster. So seeing him here made me very happy. Although by the end of it, he, I mean, I guess he outsmarted a, the, the inner circle. But really, uh, Lex Luthor and Joker were going to do that anyway. So I don't know how effective he was in the story. And certainly nothing really came out of it. At the end of the story, uh, he didn't get used that much in anywhere else, which is a shame because he, he should have got his own miniseries or something. He's a great character. Do you think it had to be a rogue from Flash because of what happened at the very beginning with all the rogues coming together? Well, it's a combination. Mark Wade, when he was writing Flash, which, by the way, is an amazing run on Flash. If you've never read The Flash, Mark Wade's Flash is just about some of the best DC comics they've produced in the last 30 years. Uh, Mark was sort of given a mandate not to use the rogues. They wanted Wally to do other things than use the standard rogues very much. And he got to use them some, but they couldn't use them on a regular basis. So getting rid of the rogues wasn't that big a deal because they weren't being used anyway. So that, that, that wasn't a huge thing other than sort of clearing the decks and also giving the series a bit of oomph because they just killed five major characters. But having Trickster be there to sort of represent the rogues, but Abracadabra was too, uh, was, I, I don't know if that was intentional or he's just a great character for people to latch on to. Personally, I think his ponytail is the star of the series. Oh. Nothing says 90s like ponytails, my friend. Yeah. On guys, that is. You should have seen uh, Nightwing's rat tail in his miniseries. I, he could use it to whip people, I remember. <laughs> he could. You should have saw my ponytail in high school. Oh. It was all kinds of awesome. I bet it was. Did this do well? Like, were, was this well received? Hmm. That's a good question. I may have been too close to the subject matter, but okay. I felt like it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed to be people were talking about it quite a bit. You know, at the time, we were so deep in 90s extreme that we couldn't see it. You know, you can't see the forest for the trees. We we couldn't see that we were knee-deep in extreme. So when we see characters that look as ridiculous as, you know, was it not Spellbinder and and the way Trickster looked and everything like that, we we didn't know we were (laughs) in that era. So we didn't know how ridiculous they look. In hindsight, a lot of the characters look pretty silly. And the art is pretty crazy. But um, I I felt like it was pretty well received. Yeah. It's, but again, I may be too close to the subject matter. Did you enjoy it? I did. I loved it. I ate it up with a spoon because okay. I love D- I love DC. At, at my core, I'm a DC guy. Uh, even though I probably read more Marvel in the past year than I have DC, mm-hmm. thanks to Marvel Unlimited, which right. is the best ever. <laughs> um, I I think that uh, I I loved it. You know. Yeah. I had green metallic ink. Why wouldn't I love it? You, well, maybe if it had one of those. Those little flashy covers with the image that the holographic. Those would have been, been nice. Even that would have been nice. Yeah. Have you already covered the Robin miniseries? No. Oh, okay. All right. So there's there's actually a scene in Underworld Unleashed that actually contains like four, I think four of my absolute favorite comic book characters. And yet I remember reading. I was rereading it last night, and I'm like, even though four of my absolute favorite characters are in this comic, it's still sort of falling flat this scene <laughs> it, it, there's a scene where they go to where they go to hell and it's got firestorm it's got wally west it's got kyle rayner and uh blue devil F- four of my absolute favorite characters my, my other ones are aquaman uh, daredevil and uh robin tim drake robin i think i'm missing somebody too but 
Anyway, so I, I love these characters. Oh, Dr. Fate's the other one. Anyway, I love these characters so much, and yet I'm reading them going, this just isn't working for me. I don't know. Were you wild when you read it? Was it just another read? I'm not getting a good sense of it. You're, you're either on some sort of cold medicine, <laughs> or you're bored, oh, or, or you're just overwhelmed by my, my manly machismo that you can't you know, uh, articulate how you feel about this comic. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting any vibe off you here. Well, apparently season two of Shag and Sella, the Shag and Sella show, is going to be like season one. Because even though I'm not saying anything, doesn't mean I'm bored. <laughs> I'm just listening to you talk. I will say, though, once, you know, I was talking to, I think, well, you had said something about it being pretty good. And Professor Allen had said something about, like, I remember that being good. But I wasn't as engaged as uh, it seems maybe you two were. It was just like another read, and I was more, I could have stopped and not read it and it would have been fine. But I thought mm-hmm. that I should read it because I'm going to read this tie-in thing. But I didn't really uh, enjoy it as much. And I'm not sure what it was about, but it did seem – I kind of like wacky villains. Mm-hmm. And so, like, to have some of these fun, wacky villains turn all of a sudden into, like, a really intense legion of doom almost right. seemed a little too much for me. I, I don't know what it was. But, I mean, the threat was there. It just seemed like it was so big. They're squishing all of this stuff into three issues. Yeah. Which seemed a little crazy. And then it had the – you know, the ending, which it seemed just to stop really quickly. So I wasn't, it, it wasn't my favorite. It was okay. I wasn't really as engaged. And I could see that because if, if you were reading it as it came out, you just didn't know where it was going to go. I mean, this was, yeah. oh my gosh, they're ramping up our villains. How's this going to go? You know, mm-hmm. you, you knew Neuron was going to get beaten, but you didn't know what villains were going to come out the other end and be legitimate threats. Um, probably the best example of an interesting character would be major disaster because prior to this uh, he had been featured you know here and there in a few comics and then became sort of a, a an important reoccurring character in a comic called Justice League International. By the way, if you've ever heard of it, there is a <laughs> podcast called Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast. It's brand new on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I hear good things about the host. I'm just saying. Anyway, I was, was never invited on that show. Uh, you, in fact, have been invited on that show, and you kind of hem and hawed and went, I don't know. That's kind of <laughs> exactly how that happened. Anyway, so he was he was a supporting character in there for a while. as sort of an antagonist, but kind of in a funny way. So he had been relegated to basically being a joke. He was a punchline by this point. So this series ramped him up. You didn't really get to see him, though, in the main series. Where they used him was in the Aquaman tie-in. He was amazing. I, I don't remember the details of it. But he basically his power his power has always been to be able to create major disasters, right? Like an earthquake or a tornado or something like that. So what he, his power is now amped, he is able to see all the laws of probabilities. Where if he causes a certain basically the butterfly effect, uh, if he were to cause a small action, which would cause another action, another action, another action, ultimately to causing a major disaster. So he, in the Aquaman one, I don't remember the details, and I'm going to get this wrong, folks, but he takes basically something like a ball bearing and just gently tosses it. And because he knew if he did that, it would hit this thing, which did this other thing, which other did it. And it was this massive cataclysm that he causes, all from that. And it's just brilliantly written because it's written by Peter David, so you know he knows what he's doing, how to get his way around a story. The art was great. I mean, it was just like, it was the crossover everybody was talking about. 
And yet, Major Disaster gets almost no play in this series at all, in the Underworld Unleashed main series. So there's certain things that came out of this series which were just like, wow, with the tie-ins. But you're never going to see those because you're not going to go read them. Now, there's also some absolutely terrible tie-ins. Extreme Justice. Wretched. Um, Did you just spit on the ground? No, it's just funny how you said wretched. I think you just went... I think that should be everyone's new response. Whenever someone mentions extreme justice, you should spit on the ground. I'm fine with that. It, which is sad because extreme justice had on the team Firestorm, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Captain Atom, oh, wow. uh, Maxima, who's hot by the way. The Wonder Twins showed up. I mean, it's a, all these great characters are there and the series is abysmal. I mean, it's really bad. Anyway, so like a lot of these crossovers are terrible. Which is unfortunate, which is another reason some of these villains didn't really take. Well, Spent a lot of time trashing this thing. <laughs> but overall, I, I think you liked it. I did. I did. There were just some bad moments. Yeah. And you mentioned kind of the ending is pretty sudden because, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Should we spoil the ending for people? I mean, I mean, it, it's been 20 years. And we haven't exactly encouraged them to run out there and pick it up. The gist of it is that the whole storyline you think is building to Superman's locked up in, in H-E double hockey sticks. And it turns out that's not the case at all. The whole point of the story is Neuron wants to corrupt Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, mm-hmm. because he is the most pure soul out there. That is his goal to corrupt Captain Marvel, and that will be the ultimate victory. And in turn, what ends up happening actually is Captain Marvel willingly offers his soul to Neuron in exchange for other people's lives. Basically a completely selfless act, Mm -hmm. and that unwinds all of Neuron's machinations because of the selfless act and saves the day. Hooray! Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's a a well-constructed concept. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's serviced well with just three issues and 46 yeah. crossover issues. It, yeah, it was interesting because it was certainly a sleight of hand because everyone was expecting Superman to be the yep. person. And then it turned out to be Captain Marvel. So I did like that it was not what you expected. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I still think it was over so quickly. Maybe it would have been less scattered if they had pulled it out over like four or six issues. Well, they would have just had to take some of the stuff that's in the crossovers and put it in. You know, yeah. really, because you, even though he amped up all these characters, you don't really see any of them. You mm-hmm. spend time with the Inner Council that, and Trickster, that's about it. You don't see, like I, I mentioned, Major Disaster or any of these, or Copperhead, or see how they evolved. So. Yeah. But for the purposes of this show, uh-huh. probably the most important thing to come out of Underworld Unleashed was one particular crossover that was all about a young lady named Barbara Gordon. Oh, my oh. heavens. Imagine that. Yeah. And this is why Stella's invited me to be on the show. That's <laughs> the only reason. So, ladies and gentlemen, pull up a chair. Yeah. I'm going to tell you about Underworld Unleashed, Patterns of Fear. It was released on October 24th, 1995. So it came out exactly one week before the end of the series. So this is really at the tail end. So if you've been reading Underworld Unleashed, you've read almost 49 crossover issues by oh this point. Oh, my gosh. And so by the time that you get to this point, you're either in love with this thing or you're hating it but either way this is kind of at the tail end it's a 38 page story so it's pretty large size $2.95 better bring all your quarters and here's the weird thing it's kind of an unusual book because really even those 38 pages there's only 13 pages of story mm-hmm. and 25 pages of who's who kind of like who's who <laughs> however if if this comic had come out probably two years later 
this would have actually been labeled a secret files and origins issue, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Because they're, they're less like a who's who entry and more like the secret files and origins stuff, but that, that brand hadn't been created yet. And this is, I mentioned earlier, this is one of four uh, one-shots. So there was the three-issue Underworld Unleashed series. There was a bunch of crossovers in the main books, but then they released four one-shots. There was uh, Abyss, Hell Sentinel, uh, Apocalypse, Dark Uprising, Batman Devil's Asylum, because why wouldn't you have a Batman comic, and Patterns of Fear. This particular one is written by Roger Stern, penciled by Anthony Williams, inker Andy Lanning, letterer Pat Prentice, colorist Patricia Mulvhill, editor Dan Thorlin. <laughs> I, I, how do you say that? Mulvhill? Mulvhill. Yeah, I guess so. It's it sounds, that's a Seinfeld that. joke waiting to happen. Oh, Jerry, here comes that woman. Where do I know her? Hi, Jerry. Hey. <laughs> how are you doing? How is everything? Good, good, good. <laughs> What's going on? I'm working hard. And you? Oh, you know, working around. Same stuff. <laughs> Doing whatever. We haven't been around in a while. I know. I know. Well, you know. You should come by. Definitely. I plan to. I'm not just saying that. Hi, I'm Elaine. Oh, Lorraine Catalano. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lorraine, this is Elaine. <laughs> Well, it was nice seeing you, Jerry And nice meeting you Oh, nice to meet you too, Lorraine Oh my God, Lorraine Dan Thorslin And the cover is by Anthony Williams and Andy Lanning Now, let me ask you Do you know who the inker is on this? You mean Lanning? Yeah Sounds familiar Sounds familiar? It kind of should He's Andy Lanning one half of the partnership of Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. Oh. Okay. Wrote Annihilation Conquest, who wrote Guardians of the Galaxy that became mm-hmm. a feature film. Um, they've written tons and tons and tons of stuff together. And Andy Lanning's become huge. And this is back in the days when he was just an inker. Look at that. Oh. So I can recap this in either one sentence or a little more. I chose to do a little more. Oh, I, originally wrote, I originally wrote one sentence and had the whole thing done, but I figured, you know what? I should give you a little more than that. I came all, I drove all the way to Virginia to do this, so I should probably. I appreciate that. Well, it's for lovers. You know, what can I say? <laughs> all right. So, Barbara, when the story opens, Barbara's in her clock tower. She's chatting on an AOL message board about how awesome her mullet is when suddenly she's surprised, no! no! suddenly she's surprised by an intruder. It's this enormous dude with long blonde hair glowing green eyes in a white suit that he probably stole from Wilson Fisk's closet. He's standing over here and identifies her as Oracle. He demonstrates he knows all about Barbara's history as a librarian, as Batgirl, as Oracle. And he has some funky powers that allow him to basically teleport any item out of her grasp into his own hands. It's sort of like, um, it's like the meanest game of keep away ever. And uh, he takes her scrimistics and these important paper files she's reading. In fact, that's why he's there. He wants to review all the information she's collected. She's been investigating recent events from the Underworld Unleashed miniseries. And, and <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't actually have copies of Underworld Unleashed there. Sorry, I don't want to mislead you. But anyway, she sort of figured out that there's got to be one central figure responsible for all this. And it's this guy, and his name is Neuron. So she correctly deduced 
that this intruder is has sort of demonic origins, and she actually brandishes a crucifix at him. He laughs it off, knocking it away, and then through a series of uh, pages, he uses horrific images to terrify Barbara, uh, including things with her father, the Joker, reliving Killing Joke, um, the wheelchair actually trapping her physically. Pretty scary stuff. Then Neuron offers her the use of her legs again, and invulnerability and powers that rival Superman. And all he asks is that she become his librarian. He also promises that her soul will actually remain hers to keep. Ultimately, she declines, fearing that she would lose her own soul anyway. And when she declines, he pretty much just returns the clock tower the way it was, and then he leaves. He doesn't threaten her. He doesn't attack her. Nothing. He just basically says she's not a threat to his plans, and he leaves. So while Barbara's won this personal victory in declining the offer, she's worried about how the world will survive a war with the devil. Now, that sums up the 13-page story. What it doesn't sum up is the 25 pages of who's who's. Uh, I was going to run through those fairly quickly if that's what you want me to do, Stella. Yeah, as long as – yeah, I didn't want you to like go out of your way. And go yeah, I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time on it. Okay. Uh, basically, each character gets one page. You get a little inset picture of the character. You get um, some facts and information, like sort of a little bit of history on the character. Then they address like what's been going on with the character recently. You get kind of a sense like uh, – let me see if I can find one real quick here. Mr. Freeze, for example. It gives you like his, his height, his weight, all that kind of stuff like you get in a who's who. gives you his basic history. Then you get an updated file about what's been going on recently in him, which is sort of telling you what's happened with the Underworld Unleash crossover. And then you get Oracle's own notes. And and you can kind of figure out what where a lot of this comes from based on where the notes come from. Like Mr. Freeze appeared in a Batman comic, so it says notes are from the Batcave. Some you know, one is about Robin, so it's like Red Wing is the person who made the notes. It's clever stuff like that. But I'm gonna run through the characters fairly quickly. Uh, there's an entry on Killer Moth, who's now called Caraxis. He appeared in Robin number 24, The Arts by Flint Henry. Basically, Killer Moth, who you may be familiar with if you're a Batgirl fan. Absolutely. He has actually been transformed into an actual monster moth who calls himself Caraxis now. He looks like he stepped right out of the Jeff Goldblum fly movie. Oh, no. Yeah, it was pretty horrific. Then you get Dr. Phosphorus, uh, drawn by uh, Tony Harris. He appeared in Starman number 13, and he's basically just uh, – his, his powers have been enhanced. He's been given temperature control, and now he wears a cool suit. Uh, Spellbinder, this is kind of a funny one. Uh, the art's by Rick Burchett, and Spellbinder appeared in Detective Comics 691 and 692. What happened was Neuron went to Spellbinder, offered him the deal, right? He refused it, so Spellbinder's girlfriend then shot him, and she took the deal instead and became the new Spellbinder, which I think is pretty funny. Is this, do you know, I was wondering if this Spellbinder is connected to the Spellbinder that appears in Batman and Beyond, the animated series? I don't Have know. Is the, is the one that Batman Beyond this hot? Well, she it's a it's a guy and it doesn't look like this at all. Oh, then um, it may be the original Spellbinder. I don't know. Okay. I, I I don't know my Batman Beyond lore that well. Okay. So I mean, I've enjoyed every episode I've watched, but I haven't seen that many. So, uh, moving on, Helgramite is in here uh, with art by Phil Jimenez. Uh, he appeared in Adventures of Superman number five thirty. He's basically been given enhanced powers as well. Uh, and some funky stuff with his drones, whatever, not worth explaining. Then you get Copperhead, who's drawn by Howard Porter. He appeared in Damage number 18. He, he basically, he always wore a costume, which allowed him to sort of like coil around people and stuff. Like he was sort of some sort of silicone costume, which made it slippery. Basically, just of his now, he is a humanoid snake now. It's no longer a costume. It's him. And uh, his was actually a pretty cool modification. 
But I don't know how well it was really handled in future years, though. Then you get Blockbuster. We mentioned him earlier. Roland Desmond, uh, art by Rick Burchett. He actually appeared in Impulse Number 8. He asked to be smarter and then was made uh, very smart. He becomes bald. He wears a really cool suit. And he becomes basically the main nemesis of the Nightwing series the whole way through. Then you get the Killer Elite, which is a, a group of bad guys, assassins, composed of Deadshot, Deadline, Merlin, Chiller, and Bolt. Let me tell you, you could not find a more obvious collection of 90s assassins than those guys. Uh, art by Phil Jimenez, and they appeared in Justice League America number 105, which, by the way, is a terrible era of the Justice League. And they were given the chance to carry out their own individual dream assassinations. Pretty sick stuff. One of them wanted to assassinate like a kindergarten class. One wanted Yeah, to- I saw that. Yeah, some terrible stuff in there. Each yeah. one had their own sort of assassination fantasy. Yeesh. Mr. Freeze, drawn by Kelly Jones. Really a cool, cool redesign for Mr. Freeze. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long. But um, he appeared in, probably because the Batman and Robin movie was coming, but he appeared in Batman number 525 and Greenland number 68. He was basically given, rather than the suit, uh, he had the, the cold powers himself. And he was able to survive in warmer weather. But again, I'm, I'm pretty sure once someone heard him say, once uh, people heard Arnold Schwarzenegger say, chill out, they probably changed him back to the way he was. That's where you insert a laugh. Whoa. Thank you. Star Sapphire. That's my favorite one, you know. What, that favorite Batman movie? Yeah. Because you hate yourself? Well, I know, but I love Batman and Robin. I think it's amazing. I know you did a commentary with, was it Tom or Mike Bailey? I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I think I did it actually with Danovan and Jash. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, don't, I don't know those guys, so. Okay. Hi, guys. See, that's the Ross. And, anyway. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> How you doing? See how it all fits. Anyway, um, Star Sapphire, who's also Carol Ferris, art by Chris Batista. She appeared in Extreme Justice number 10, which is also also terrible. I don't, if you don't know your Star Sapphire history back then, basically Carol Ferris, Starfire, Star Sapphire was like an evil alternate personality of her she couldn't control. Well, in this, they split. They become separate entities, and there's this whole thing with a child that's even more confusing. Oh, dear. Gorilla Grodd. Um, by Phil Jimenez, art. He appeared in Catwoman number 27. He had sort of lost his intelligence and his power, so he makes a deal to get all that back. Killer Frost, drawn by the amazing Tom Grummet. Not that it's his best work, but he's amazing. And she appeared in Superboy number 22. She was given supposedly greater power, but I kind of call BS on that one because Killer Frost's power always depended on what the story needed. I mean, there's one point in the early days of Firestorm where she just freezes the entire New York Harbor and the entire city. So I don't know that she really needed her powers amped anyway. I just think it depended on what the story required. Then you get, uh, but, but she did get a new costume, as I mentioned earlier, which sticks around for a long time. Then you get the Atomic Skull, drawn by Phil Jimenez. He appeared in Ray number 18. He's offered more power. The interesting thing here is he's seen here, uh, the Atomic Skull basically is a guy whose skull is exposed and there's all this radiation pouring off of it. And he wears like biker leather or whatever. Anyway, in the picture is this smashed motorcycle, which I'm sure has Ghost got Rider? to be. What's that? Ghost Rider? I think it's supposed to be a commentary on Ghost Rider. I think it's exactly what it's supposed to be. So I find that very funny. Uh, Metallo with art by Phil Gossier. I'm not familiar with him, but it's a pretty cool drawing of, of Metallo. I think he looks pretty good here. Uh, it looks very 90s. Anyway, he appeared in Steel number 21. And as I was kind of hinting at earlier, he basically he gained the ability to morph into any mechanical shape he could imagine and project his consciousness into any technological or metallic device. And he could absorb machinery when he came, in, came into contact with it. And that's a feature that stayed with him throughout, even into animation and stuff. 
does he still have a kryptonite heart? You know, given with the New 52, they did something very different with him. So I don't know what he is in the New 52. But at this point, his kryptonite heart's gone, I'm pretty sure. I don't think he has that anymore. Now, depending on the story, I think he would get it back if they wanted him to for Mm -hmm. certain stories. But in general, I think that was that, that story, that ship had sailed because he became a villain for anybody, not just Superman. Then we get Shadow Thief with Oscar Jimenez did the artwork there. He appeared in Flash number 107. Just if it is, uh, he got a more powerful costume. Could do more with his shadow powers. Yada, yada. Then you get Cheetah, art by Phil Jimenez. She appeared, in, uh, as well as being part of the Inner Council, she appeared in Guy Gardner Warrior number 36. Kind of seems like your type of woman. Well, I mean, I, she, A, she's hot. B, she's naked, uh, if you think about it. Although, here's a question for you. Oh, here we go. Well, I know the answer. So it's sort of a baited question, but she's naked, right? Where's her nipples? You don't see them ever. They're covered by fur. That's what I tried to say at first, but someone then went on to explain to me there was a ritual that occurred, and she was clothed when the ritual was done. Whatever. I'm just so she's actually she has a leotard, and then the fur is over the leotard. It's part of this magical spell. It's all magic. You know, magic explains everything. So anyway, she the gist of this, she becomes uh, supposedly she sold her soul to actually resurrect a friend. So she didn't actually get more powerful from the deal. Everyone thought she did. Mm. But it turns out she actually resurrected a friend. So she, she became more feral in the process, but she did not gain more power. Then you get a horrible, horrible modernization of Psycho Pirate. Uh, art by Vince Guirano uh, from Manhunter number 12. They take the Medusa masks and make it basically an eye patch. And, oh gosh, it's horrible. He becomes a psychic vampire who has to, the only way he stays sane is by the mask feeds on people and then he feeds off the mask. It's horrible. Anyway, because Psycho Pirate's a great character. If you've ever read Crisis, he's, he's a great, really. Infinite Crisis? No, don't. Don't because lie. that bad things happened to him in that one. Oh yeah, I think uh, didn't Black Adam take care of him in that one? Yeah, like it goes through, like the thing goes through his head and comes yeah. out the other side. I think he kind of had it coming, but Infinite Crisis is known for being overly violent. Anyway, but if you read Crisis and Infinite Earths, he's an incredible character through that story. Then Major Disaster, we already talked about him. Art by Howard Porter, he appeared in Aquaman number fourteen, and then uh, then you get some character. It was interesting. Then you get a, a, three characters who appear here, have their own sort of who's who pages, but they don't actually appear in any crossovers. It's just like, I guess they felt like they wanted to include them. Uh, Shrapnel, art by Phil Jimenez. They talk about he got enhanced power. Sledge by Phil Jimenez, also enhanced strength. And then Brimstone by Phil Jimenez. And they talk about how the techno seed that creates Brimstone uh, possessed a a scientist who deals with neuron and blah, 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 some stuff. Either way, none of them appeared in any of the crossovers. They're just like three characters I guess they wanted to mention. Then you get to Inner Council. I'll run through them fairly quickly. Cersei by Phil Jimenez. We already, uh, she gets more power and are able to avenge her defeats by Wonder Woman. Dr. Polaris by Phil Jimenez. He sold his soul to rid himself of his benevolent personality. So he had a split personality as well. Neil Emerson, who was like a nice guy, and Dr. Polaris, who was a bad guy. And so he shed himself of Neil Emerson. Abracadabra uh, was given real magical powers instead of his technical powers. Phil Jimenez art again. Lex Luthor, we talked about him, restored health. Um... And then the Trickster, who, interesting, uh, art by Howard Porter on Trickster, interesting thing about him, he was sent, he was not given a deal. He did not get powers. He, Neuron kept them around just to spy on the Inner Council, and as mm-hmm. Stella and I mentioned earlier, he's sort of the, the viewpoint of the audience throughout the whole story. 
And then finally, the Joker, who did not have an entry in the issue, which is interesting because he is on the Inner Council, but he did not get an entry in the issue. Why do you think Joker didn't – why do you think – I'm sorry, Barbara didn't keep a file on Joker? Well, because I think that's still a soft point for her. Delicate, soft, sensitive. Yeah. 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 And what did the Joker sell his soul to Neuron for? I don't recall that one specific. Oh, I don't, he didn't sell it at all, did he? Yeah, he did. He oh, sold, he did? sold a neuron for a box of Cuban cigars. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because he's crazy. Yeah. You would think, though, on the other hand, that she would have the largest amount of stuff on Joker. Yeah. Yep. Maybe she just can't face it. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank what, you for going through all of that. Well, I don't know how interesting it was to the people at home, but that that's the job I was asked to do, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because when I was flipping through this and, and checking to be sure like you'd be willing to come on, I started laughing when I saw all of this, like little bit of story and then all of these because I thought, oh, man, it's a who's who. So I'm finally fulfilling one of my dreams to be on the <laughs> show. Well, the Who's Who podcast, folks, if you don't know, because you've opened the window for me to do a plug. You've been doing plugs all night long. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so Who's Who podcast is on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and we literally go through the Who's Who comic page by page, one page at a time. And when I first told Stella about this, she was horrified, and she thought, what an abysmally yicky (laughs) thing to sit through, because they're like – now – I was going to say they're really long, but actually compared to Stella's shows, they're fairly brief. Give me a break. Five-hour podcast. That they happen so infrequently. You're right. You're right. It's not the usual (laughs) three-hour podcast. Anyway, so uh, we do Who's Who, and Stella herself has become a huge fan. She writes in every episode. Practically, yeah. I don't know if I have anything to say on this recent one, but... I think you wrote in anyway. No, I didn't. So, oh, I said. Oh, well, I said something on Twitter. Does that count? Well, that counts. I pull feedback from everywhere. Oh, okay. That's yeah, about your singing. I enjoy your singing on there. Exactly. See, I like the gold member one better. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, um, I'm a giver. Yeah. So, what did you think of Patterns of Fear? I really liked it, mm-hmm. actually, because I think it shows the strength of Barbara Gordon as a character. I love how. You've got both sides of her, I think, as a character. Not only her research abilities, because I think Neuron almost feels... I mean, this could be putting too much in him as a character, but he could potentially be threatened because he goes to her to see how much like she realizes of the plan and how much she knows is behind it. Mm-hmm. And she's the only person, potentially, who has connected all the pieces, which I love, that it's totally an Oracle thing to do. I love how she tries to fight him, even though that's clearly not going to happen if you're facing a demonic entity. And then finally, given the opportunity to really turn her life around and be even stronger without losing anything, she has that strength of will to say no. Right. I mean, she, um, I'm, I'm looking it through here. She, she listens to his offer. Right. I mean, she, it doesn't look like she's considering it. Mm-hmm. She just asked what the price will be because pretty much right. it's all neuron talking. Almost the whole issue is neuron talking. Yeah. Um, she asked what the price would be, and she immediately says no. It's not like there was even a moment of temptation. So it shows you the, her strength of will, where she she didn't even falter for a second. It was just no. So good on her. Yep. 
I like the, he could have done something about her haircut though. That would have been nice. I so that this is something that for whatever reason Professor Allen and I now talk about is hairstyles in yep. comics that we review. Well, you have and, a new hairstyle too. I do. I, yeah, I cut all my hair off. Well, not all of it, but it's above my shoulders now. Still but no, no photo evidence. I know. Is it a mullet? Is that a mullet? Is it, is it business up front, party in the back? No, it's party all over. Oh, baby. <laughs> it's on like Donkey Kong. Oh, dear. So, anyways, this is a bad haircut, Professor Allen. So, yes. she had, we looked at um, a Birds of Prey issue, and we decided it was a good haircut. Um, he, the time he was on my show, it was a bad haircut, and then this one is also a bad haircut. I'm re- not really sure what's going on. What you know? I guess people are trying to figure out who Oracle is as a character and get her hair right, but they're they're failing, it seems. Well, I think it's a. I, I think it may be a sexist stereotype, where you have a strong female character, and therefore she has to have a sort of butch kind of hairstyle. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the the failing here is. Okay. Which is, I could be wrong. Maybe they yeah. just thought that would just be a fashion choice Barbara would go for. I have no idea why she never had a haircut like that before. Mm-hmm. It makes her look tough. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, there's some there's some shorthand that occur visual shorthand that occurs by looking at her character and you go and that haircut tells you she's a tough person. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. I like the files. Uh, because mm-hmm. they could, there are so many of them that I oh, think yeah. you could get bogged down, and especially if you didn't necessarily enjoy the main story. But what I like about them is that Oracle puts in her personal thoughts, right? And then, so like I specifically remember the Star Sapphire one, and she says something about clearly the person who wrote this knows more of what's going on, and it the person who wrote it was her boy. Wow! Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so it makes sense. And then when you get farther on, the the last half, I guess, with all those, and you've got personal notes from people who are sending her things. And like her dad says, I hope you're not getting met, messed up or mixed up with these because I think he wrote on the shrapnel one. He gives her all the information. So I think it's nice how she's compiling this information. It's interesting to see who's writing the information and then her personal anecdotes and then the other people that are writing to her and sort of the connections that she has. So I think – even though it's a lot of info dumping, uh, you get to see now Oracle and how far her reaches are now uh, in such a short amount of time that she can reach out to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think it's well done. And like I said, I love the little hints to let you know where to find these characters. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, the Blockbuster one says, you know, it's, a, it's the Batcave database. And now, wait, that's interesting because that was actually in an impulse issue. It should have said something impulse related. Ah. Huh, I uh, I I going against my my own thing just now. Uh-oh. <laughs> I take that back. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, when you were reading them, I was noticing that uh, some of the abbreviations were actual because I was trying to figure out how you knew these, and I felt really bad because I thought you had spent hours upon hours figuring out when they appeared. But there are actually abbreviations, and then the issue number in the little coding. What? Are you serious? Oh gosh, did you actually spend hours? <laughs> Right, I'm looking at for example, Mr. Freeze, Green oh, Lantern 68, Freeze? son of a biscuit. I see it. GL68. Oh, my gosh. you got to be kidding me. Wait. JLA. Now, it doesn't say the JLA number because it wasn't issue number 919. Uh, Blockbuster. 
Oh, impulse. It has an I for impulse, I guess, number eight. Oh, jeez. Okay. Justice League Task Force. Okay. Wonderful. Oh, no. Uh, it, oh, no. no it's, uh, I'll, I will pull the curtain back and say I didn't spend as much time as you think. It, I pulled it okay. all from one wiki page. Okay. So it was all in one location for Okay. Me. If I'd realized they were there in the entries, however. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you even I, notice here I was, I was following you? And here I was complimenting their uh, their coding and I didn't even notice how good they had coded it. <laughs> there you go. Yep. So, I, yeah. how many uh, how many crucifixes would you give this one? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> that was disturbing. I couldn't tell that that was Jim, though, until she said, like, why right. is the father on the I couldn't tell. How many would I give? Out of ten crucifixes, <laughs> maybe a seven? Okay, yeah. I was thinking a seven or an eight. Yeah, I really like the story. I mean, the thirteen-page story. Yeah. And of course, I'm a sucker for who's who. I have a bit of soft spot for that. But the art, and I like some of the art. I like, like I like yeah. how big Neuron is. I mean, he's just ridiculous. He looks like a Popeye cartoon. He's so ridiculously cool. huge. I yeah. like that. But it, it does suffer from some '90s isms. But uh, yeah, I, I would give it probably eight crucifixes. Yeah, I, I think it just it's very good for her character. I think it's very. What is it called? Staying close to her character? Staying true yeah. to her character? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the fact that, you know, she uses her librarian savvy and he offers her to be his personal librarian. Mm-hmm. And you start with Killer Moth. So there's so much <laughs> Barbara Gordon's history throughout this, even though there are so many who's who pages. So. And, I mean, I, it's pretty impressive that at this point in her history, she gets a, a whole special, you know, in this major company crossover dedicated right. to her. Yeah. So, good on Babs. That should say something. Yep. Okay. Well, on to our next and final, which is an Elseworlds story. And I do love Elseworlds, so let's see if this let us down or not. And it is... I'll give you a little hint, folks. It does. (laughs) It's called Brotherhood of the Bat. And the writer is Doug Mensch, Pencilers Jim Aparo, Jim Ballant, Brett Blevins, Norm Brayfogle... Vincent Girano, Tom Grummet, Mike Manley, Graham Nolan. Yeah, lots of pencilers. Inker, Joe Rubenstein, colorist, Lee Lowridge, Rick Taylor, Sherilyn Van Valkenburg, Pamela Rambo, Noel Giddings, Ian Laughlin, Phil Allen, Patricia Mulvihill, there she is again, yep. and Digital Chameleon. And the 1997 Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders, Merv Griffin. Now, I don't want you to fall down because I know you're standing up. Yes. But I went to Mike's Amazing World. You did not. And I found out that it was released on September 12th, 1995. So this actually came out before Underworld Unleashed was finished. It may have. It did. I Underworld just, Unleashed, I just told you, like, 30 <laughs> minutes ago, the Underworld Unleashed was finished on Halloween oh, 1995. Right. I'm so sorry. I remember. No, you're not. not even a little bit. <laughs> but, yeah, I wanted to know. So, thank you, Mr. Brainiac10, uh, for giving me that information. Or uh, the amazing Mike Voiles, whichever you care to call him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, this also right, before, has this. Before you go any further. Oh, yeah. I do want to say, oh, if yeah, you just, exactly? if you. If you just look at the cover, the the credits page, which you spent excruciating amount of time going through. Well, those were all the people. It almost feels like a celebration of Batman artists. I mean, Jim Aparo, 
classic Batman artist. Jim um, Bla- ba- Balint was drawing, mm-hmm. if I remember right, Catwoman at this point. Brett Blevins was very involved with all these different books. Norm Brayfogle, big-time Batman artist. Vince Giaro, I don't know if he was actually drawing Batman or not, but he was very much doing stuff at DC at that point. Tom Grummet was doing Robin. Uh, Mike Manley drew during the, the night fall or night quest. He drew the Asbat stuff. And Graham Nolan's also well-known for Batman. So it's almost like this is sort of a celebration of various Bat artists. Or you could look at it that they needed to get it done in a hurry and they just got every Bat artist to work on it. I don't know which. What are your thoughts on having multiple artists on one book? Well, since they use the same inker through the whole thing, it's not horribly noticeable. It's it's not jarring. Mm Mm-hmm. So by using the same inker, Joe, uh, Joseph Rufenstein, who's a very accomplished inker for DC, I felt like it was pretty, pretty okay. I mean, honestly, it felt like most of the book looked like Aparo to me. Um, that's kind of how I felt. I felt like it looked like that. But you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I didn't have a problem because the inker kind of smoothed it out. How about you? I, I go back and forth on it. If it fits the story, I'm okay with it. For example, if. There's an issue where maybe there are many stories within and so, you know, different things are happening. I think that would benefit a different artist per story. But since this is one continual story, I would kind of want some fluidity. But I think you're absolutely right that when you look at it, like it doesn't seem like there's too drastic of a change from one chapter to the next or from one artist to the next. Right. Yeah. It's you should probably say I'm right more often. Oh, okay. Just put it out there. So, just so you know, in case you like this, there is a sequel to this story, and it's called Batman League of Batman, which came out in 2001. I haven't read it, so I cannot recommend or not recommend, but I just want to say, in case you're interested. Based on this, can we not recommend it? (laughs) Can we do that now? I don't know. Maybe it's good. So, 53 years into the future, the president of the United States is gone, and a virus called the Ebola Honduras Strain 9, so this could be, maybe this is going to happen for reals, annihilated the population, and the world experiences war, pestilence, famine, and death with uninfected gangs with guns running the decaying cities. The Batman is dead, but in Honduras, Ra's al Ghul is still immortal and recently bathed in a Lazarus pit. So, of course, he's recently come out of the pit. He's a little cray-cray. And he nearly kills his attendant, Moon Sun. Moon Sun, I think, is a little confused on his astronomy. But regains control, <laughs> just, but regains control just in time. He then goes inside and checks with his scientists and finds out that the population has decreased 89%, but needs 23 million more people to die before the final target is met and balance between nature and man is restored and a vaccine can be administered. And the scientist has a limited amount of time, specifically 23 million more seconds, I think it was, to make the vaccine. So it's equal to the people. It's like a threat. He said the number of heart. I mean, he he didn't really mean that. Number of heartbeats. No, he just means you need to get this done before all these people die. That's what he meant. Well, I thought it was a threat. Well, he says get it done, but he says you have 23 million, because that's how many more people have to go. It was 23, whatever the number was. 23 million more heartbeats. It was a. Just a descriptive term. Okay, people. Well, whichever person you decide to believe in this interpretation, you go Oh, on. my gosh. <laughs> are you really trying to pit your own audience yeah. who are loyal to you? 
Against the guest. Against the guest. That how horrible. What I bet like when you when you let people over to your place, you're like, hey, go ahead, yeah, use you can use the restroom. Don't use the guest towels. Those are for special people. <laughs> well, what other towels are they going to use? Well, clearly not the nice ones, because you know those you save those for the nice guests. Is what I'm saying. I'm feeling's happening to me here. I'm sorry, sir. So sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so before the new world order can be imposed, Roz searches for a city that he can conquer first, and it happens to be, of course, Gotham City. Sure. And then he looks for I know, and then he looks for a place for a Lazarus pit, and it happens to be guess what. Wayne Manor, beloved. Yep. So once arriving, a pit is dug and prepared. Roz looks around the cave and notices the designs that Bruce first came up with, apparently in a diary, before settling on his final design. Roz calls upon his greatest warriors and outfits them with many of the discarded designs, very 90 designs. Their mission (laughs) is to purge Gotham, raise, R-A-Z-E, all crime and corruption from its streets, instill order by any force, and let no one oppose them. So this is now called the Brotherhood of the Bat. And they start to take down gang members and clean the streets with no mercy. And the news stations that are actually bought by one of the gangs reports this but make them out to be some bad people. And so watching this story is Talent, T-A-L-L-A-N-T. And he is the son you, you, Go ahead. Did I ask about it correctly? Well, you mispronounced it. That it's is how you spell it. But it's, well, it's pronounced Damien. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say something about I mispronounced it. Okay. To Damien. The son of Talia and Bruce Wayne, though he doesn't know about the latter. So he's training and studying for what we don't really know. But he's becoming bored of his studies, and he and his mother discuss their thoughts on these new Batman. Talent or Damien believes they are doing good, but Talia asks the question of good for whom? Quibona, who benefits. So uh, she drops a proverbial bomb and tells him his father was, in fact, Bruce Wayne. Who knows why dun, this is. Dun, dun. He's so shocked, though. I mean, does he even know who Bruce Wayne is? I am your father. So Talent later goes to Wayne Manor and gets in easily with a key given by his mother. He learns about his father's past, his journey, and his goals as Batman, and thus sees that the Batmen had perverted his original intentions. Later, he goes to visit Oracle in the Clock Tower, and both an aging Babs and Jim Gordon, who knows how he's still alive, and they happen to be in matching wheelchairs, are there. They they let him in once he identifies you're so oh my goodness. They let him in once he identifies himself and Jim gives him a history lesson on Batman and his ethics and then yells at Talent that he should be doing something. Back home, Talent tells Talia that he will join the Batman and destroy them from the inside. She presents him with the original suit that his father wore, and he uses the clock to get inside and drops in on Roz and Moonsun talking about the newly perfected vaccine. Talent demands to join the Batman, but Roz will only let him after a trial by combat, which Talent fails after 23 seconds. Oh, that's the same t- amount as um, the million people. 23 must be a magical number. It is a magical number. Look but this, I thought it was 27 and 42. Nope. Well, 42 is the answer to the ultimate question. 23 is a crazy prime number, but go ahead. Oh, okay. But this is actually enough time to impress Roz, so I, I guess people 
can't get up to 23. So talent slowly begins eliminating the brotherhood, non-lethally, of course, and this gains the suspicion of Roz, who instructs one of the Batman to kill Talent, but Talent just takes him out and then puts on his costume. He continues to take Batman out and gets the city commander to lock them up, but he'll be coming for him later. He takes down the remaining Batman at a TV studio and then goes for Roz, which upsets Talia. She's freaking out. During the fight with Roz, Roz reveals that he started the virus in order to purge the Earth, who is really shocked about that. Talent fights for humanity and simple gifts, while Roz argues the desert is beautiful, the same yet ever-changing. So then Talia suddenly appears in the cave, and she distracts Roz by revealing who Talent is, which he happens to be the grandson of Roz. Talent stabs Roz, who falls into a Lazarus pit, and then he rises again. Talent has a chance to shoot Roz with a gun, but does not because he remembers his father's hatred of guns. So then Roz actually leads Talent, Gotham City, to take care of, so he can see who is right, his father or his grandfather. So at the end, Talent starts his journey with the vaccine, and his first plan is to bury the Lazarus pit. And so he and, I assume, Robin's going to be his mother. I'm just kidding. What? Because <laughs> she's like his sidekick. She's right there. But that's how it ends, with some hope, I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lots to say, lots to say. Indeed. Interesting that it was 1995 is also if I if I remember right I could be wrong but I believe that's the same year Kingdom Come came out after a number of years of uh, Son of the Demon which it mm-hmm. came out you know what 83 84 that whole storyline was kind of left to, just to be forgotten where Talia and Batman had a baby and then suddenly in 1995 you get this story where Talia and Batman's son comes about mm-hmm. you also got Kingdom Come which features the son of Batman and Talia as well. And it just seems like this is the beginning of, of circling that story, which ultimately, you know, uh, sees fruition in, in Grant Morrison's version of Damian Wayne. Right. Ugh. But uh, I can't stand that character. You don't like Damian? Not even a little bit. He's my favorite Robin. I, I know. You're broken, sweetheart. It's okay. <laughs> we can fix you. Tom and I can fix you. I'm convinced. Tom, you just mentioned his name. Tom loves Tim Grayson. Uh, Tim Grayson. Tom loves Tim Drake, which <laughs> is the Tim right Grayson? answer. <laughs> Tim Drake is the right Robin. Well, he is. Okay. So, we anyway, all have our own opinions. And everyone, and that's you know, actually, that is the beauty of opinions. Here we go. Everyone is entitled to one. But they, they are just, wrong. Ha- that's they just happen to be wrong. That is. Yeah, correct. yeah, yeah. You say that all the time. It's your little catchphrase. It is my catchphrase. That Oops, find uh, your joy. And she's hot, and she's hot. I yeah, have, I have a number of them. So what did you think of this comic? So I really like Elseworlds. Um, I, I think they're just fun alternatives to classic stories or well-known stories that aren't really going to impact anything in continuity. So if you do get upset about it, it's okay. And I like how they keep the spirit of a character or a story pretty pretty close to it, but then change things and very much like a what if. So anyways, that's why I like Elseworlds. So this was, and this could have been, you know, just a futuristic story that was actually in continuity. But uh, it wasn't the strongest Elseworlds that I have read. I wasn't expecting this when I was thinking of Brotherhood of the Bat. I don't know what I was expecting. But when I saw that Roz was the leader of Brotherhood of the Bat, I thought, what's going on? Is he you know, taking up the legacy of Batman, like he's finally, but of course, no, he, you know, Leopard can't change his spots. 
He's the one who caused this virus and everything. And then you go with Talent, who looks like a clone of Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except he's got longer hair. Um, is, it, and, is it long hair or is it a mullet? Oh, uh, well, I don't know. I think it's just long hair. Okay. It, it looks like the Superman thing. It does, which is, according to Michael Bailey, long hair. But Yeah, don't you want to make him angry? Oh, well, Michael and I go back and forth. I, you know who gave <laughs> Superman long hair, right? Dan Jurgens, right? Okay. I called it a mullet to Mr. Jurgens. What did he say? Uh, we had a disagreement about it. <laughs> okay. It was a gag. We, whenever okay. I interview Dan, I always do a lightning round of questions at the yes. end. And most of them are gag questions. And so I threw one specifically saying, who would you rather have a photo with? Uh, Superman, or Superman with a mullet or electric Superman? And he's like, uh, he couldn't answer it. He's like, hold on. Stop the clock. Stop the clock. Now let's talk about this. And I'm like, Dan, I know. I baited the question. <laughs> okay. I specifically baited Dan. So. Okay. But anyway, he's an interesting character. I'm not really sure what his purpose is. Like, he has no purpose. He's, he's potentially Yeah, he's like 25 years old, let's say. And I guess his mother has just been schooling him and, like, training him. Who knows? But he's not, until this stuff happens, he's not doing anything. And I feel like until he puts the suit on and starts doing stuff, it, it seems like it's okay. But, yeah, I, I would agree that he's not the most intriguing character. Well, he... He's not even that interesting in the story when he gets going. His actions are interesting, but because you know he's taking out the Batman and stuff like right, that. Right, right, right. But he's an he's an he's a no care he's a no name character. I mean, I shouldn't say no name, but he's we know nothing about him other than he wants to take care of Gotham, and he is a real good fighter. That's all we know about him. That's it. But I just I mean, how is he a good fighter? Clearly, Talia is not sparring with him. Maybe she is. Okay. She's tough. Yeah. She's a tough old bird. She's hot, but she's a do tough think, old bird. Do you think he's naive? In um, the beginning, do you think he's, like, childlike almost? And then all of a sudden something, like once he reads his father's journal? He's sheltered. Okay. He's definitely sheltered. Naive? I don't know. I don't think I don't think they explore the character enough for us to even know. Yeah, but he's definitely naive. He doesn't realize what's going on with the world as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he finally gets out there in Gotham and finds out the level of corruption... He, he then gets involved, but yeah, mm-hmm. I'm 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 not a big fan of this story. I yeah, this is definitely the era where Elseworlds had sort of run their course that because at this point Elseworlds were just Batman Elseworlds for the most part. Yeah. Now we would eventually get, or maybe we already have gotten. I don't know. I, I get a little mixed up. There was a uh, there was a couple annuals, a couple different years where we had like an Elseworlds year of annuals. We had a another year called Legends of the Dead Earth, which is another series, essentially, of Elseworlds annuals. And, and we got some creative stuff out of those because they did stories about other characters. But the Batman Elseworlds, at least this particular pool of writers, had sort of tapped it out. That's not to say there's not more good what-if stories to tell with Batman. It's just they weren't doing it anymore. I think when you and I covered Thrill Killer, you know, that was sort of mm. towards the end of the, the good Elseworld runs. Yeah. And uh, I... Also, the, I mean, with the price sticker on this, I don't even remember what the price was, but it was a larger comic. It just seems like this point would have been better served to just do a what-if series. And that way you get a monthly fix, because this story could have been told in a lot less pages. And you just do a, you know, a monthly story, and you move on. That way you don't feel like you're committing to a big special every time it comes out. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Talia left Roz? Because she's always by his side. So what do you think changed? Was it because she had the child, do you think? Um. Th- Probably that's part of it. She was probably afraid of what he would do with the with the quote detective's child. 
Uh, also, you know, when Roz releases the virus, which wipes out half the planet, which I'm pretty sure is Donald Trump's uh, platform, well, political platform as well, same sort of thing. I thought uh, he wanted to build a wall. We're going well, to it, build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. In, in, in both sides, it's, uh, you know, in both Roz's philosophy and Trump's philosophy, it's about getting rid of other people you don't want. I see. So, I'm just saying. Yeah. A little political humor for you at home there, folks. They're not laughing. Yeah, I know. Just alienated all the diehard Republicans. So Talia probably left because of the baby, I would think. And the actions that Roz had taken were so extreme that I don't think even she could get on board with. Because of the very fact that now she has brought a life into the world that could potentially be a victim of the disease. Mm-hmm. Which may also be why she's living in isolation. It's true, yeah. In a really amazing apartment complex that hasn't fallen apart. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's believable that Roz would let talent live and, like, you have this city and we'll see who's right, Bruce Wayne? No, it was ridiculous. Okay. Now, if they had done more about him being like, you're of my blood and I will give you a chance, that, he, yeah. you know, would have been more. But no, the way it was written, no. Okay. Because, yeah, I feel like he does have some sympathy towards his blood. But in the end, like, even if you were of his blood and you went against him, you would probably get killed. Yeah, I mean, Roz, Roz has a plan. And this kid actively went and destroyed his plan. Yeah. And then Roz comes right out of the – okay, they show us Roz in the Lazarus pit. They mm-hmm. show him being you know, in the bloodlust mode where he's yep. nuts, right? And then it happens again at the end and like in one panel, he's fine again. Yeah, that was a little unbelievable. Right. So it's, it's almost like they either ran out of pages or they were dragging the story out one or the other. I don't know which. Yeah. What did you think about the fight between them at the end with the, the philosophy that was involved, like the discussion between them as they were dueling? I honestly have completely purged that memory, and I just read it yesterday. Okay. Really? What did they talk about? I don't yeah. know. Tell, well, tell like the listener. Whole, like desert. The desert. Oh, thing. right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that so, was... yeah. Stern just had some dialogue he wanted to use. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I just felt like it sounded very much like old-fashioned Roz versus Batman sort hmm. of thing. Where, like, their ideologies that. don't match up still. So I liked it like that. At okay. Least. I, yeah. no, I'll give you that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's cut to the Oracle stuff, though, because that's really what the BTO listeners Yeah, do. let's do it. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. Most importantly, they open the door, and they have the gun pointed at the person when they open the door. They learn their lesson. They did. Yep. And but yes, they she, also checked to see who was outside first. Oh, that's true. She had all her computers, didn't she? Yeah. I love that Commissioner Gordon looks exactly the same as he did, you know, 50 years before this. <laughs> He's getting on in his. He's got to be a hundred years old. Yeah, I'm not sure how how he I mean, survived. She's old. I mean, she's probably in her seventies here, right? Yeah, at least or eighties because she's you know a very old sort of withered lady, mm-hmm. still still cute. But and and then her dad. I just think it's so cute. This like old people. You know, you hear about like the sandwich generation of where you're you're having to take care of your parents and your kids. I mean, she doesn't have kids, but she's like an 80 year old lady having to take care of a 100 year old dad. Yeah. What a nightmare that's got to be. We can't bust heads like we used to, but we have our ways. One trick is to tell them stories that don't go anywhere. Like the time I caught the ferry over to Shelbyville, I needed a new heel for my shoe. So, I decided to go to Morganville, which is what they call Shelbyville in those days. So, I tied an onion to my belt, which was the style at the time. Now, to take the ferry cost a nickel, and in those days, nickels had pictures of bumblebees on them. 
Give me five peas for a quarter, you'd say. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah. The important thing was that I had an onion on my belt, which was a style at the time. They didn't have white onions because of the war. The only thing you could get was those big yellow ones. <laughs> and they're both in wheelchairs. Right, right. So I do wonder how that's going. And he's shaking so much with the gun. Yep. They're still, in the, clock, they're still in the clock tower. Did you see yep, that? Yep, yep. I wonder if that's his service pistol. Oh, uh, well, I'm sure it has to be. That would make the only thing that makes sense. It's a good scene. I'm glad that, you know, if there's someone that he's going to talent, if there's someone that talent is going to go to see, why not someone who was close with Batman and is still alive? Uh, because yep. Talia can only tell him so much from, like, her perspective. So uh, so it was shocking. I was reading and I thought, wait, I thought Oracle's in this. I'm reading it and waiting and then, oh, there she is. I, I had, honestly, I'd forgotten why I was – I why I was reading it, I guess you should say. I was just reading it to read it at that point. I'd yeah. forgotten that Oracle was going to be here. So when Oracle showed up, I was actually kind of surprised. Uh, I was even more surprised to see Commissioner Gordon in it. Yeah. So, but that that was possibly the most enjoyable thing in here. And that the goofy 90s Batman costume designs. Yes. Those were hilarious. It reminds me of, have you seen Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire? I think all of America has, but yeah. Well, <laughs> I you don't see a lot of movies. That's true. This is true. But that's back in the days before I had kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but remember how he was like drawing the different Oh, costumes? yeah. That's yeah. what sort of reminds me of like, do you think a 20-year-old Bruce Wayne was drawing these little things in his diary? I love that Bruce made even little notes, you know, like, on a, like no, that's ridiculous. It's, he wasn't a fashion designer, but whatever. Yeah. It's cute. It's adorable. Is what, yeah. it is. what do you think about Barbara Gordon's hair in this one? An old dowager hairstyle? Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's what you would expect. So it's not a mullet. Oh, wait. Is it a mullet? No. no it's, no, it's Aunt May. She's got the Aunt May hairstyle. I, that's what I was going to say. She does look like Aunt May. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's good. Yeah. She, okay. I was trying to see if we actually see her in a wheelchair or it's just a chair. Yes, definitely in a wheelchair. We do, yeah, behind her. Yep. Yeah. Or him. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. should we give this a rating out of um, Lazarus Pits? Sure. Okay. So out of ten Lazarus pits, what would you give it? Four. Wow, four. Maybe, a, maybe a five. I mean, it's it's not the worst comic I've ever read. Certainly, yeah. So. A, a four point five. How, how's that? I think I would give it a five, too. That's our coverage. Sorry to end on such a downer note, folks. She should yeah. have invited me for some good comics. Well, maybe next time. Well, Patterns of Fear was pretty good. I think so, yeah. And you got to tell us all the backstory that I would never have known. So what is next time? What do you have me on the spreadsheet for? And by the way, anywhere it says Donovan, you can just scratch that out and write Dr. Richard Burke. It's fine. Dr. Richard Burke? That's me. Uh, The final night. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Yeah. Don't. Hey, do you have Genesis on your list? No. Oh, okay. Because if you do find yourself with any Genesis crossovers, go ahead and give those to Michael Bailey and Tom Panneries. Why? Because Genesis is awful. In fact, they said so on your show. Oh. Not that you listen to what your friends say. I, well, after... Hey, after I record, I forget things. And then when you edit it, you have to go back and listen to it. And then after I put it out, I'm sort of done. (laughs) Is that that how you feel about me? You're just done with me after every episode? No. I'm feeling kind of hurt right now. 
Oh, don't be hurt. I, I may cry myself into into Remington's fur tonight. Oh, he's so sweet. Do you, you could bring him next time you visit? Tom and I? I don't or think, me? I don't think that will work. Oh. Well, can you tell the listeners at home where we can find you? Oh, I'm far, far too humble to talk Even to though, that's what well, you mentioned. You practically took over my show with all the promos you put out here. Uh, folks, you can find me over at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Uh, it's uh, actually it's it's changed since I've been here last. We we actually have a network now, uh, a dedicated website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. We have oh my gosh, over a dozen shows now, and I'm not on all of them, thankfully. So you can actually enjoy some of them. And uh, each one has its own iTunes feed. So if you've been subscribing to the Fire and Water Podcast or you were scared to subscribe to the Fire and Water Podcast, you can actually subscribe just to single shows. So if you want just the Who's Who podcast, you can subscribe to just Who's Who. If you want uh, the Invasion podcast, which focuses on the Invasion crossover, that's there. Or Ohatmu. If you haven't heard Ohatmu, this is hysterical, Stella. It's great. It is, uh, it's Siskoid in Canada and a group of his lady friends going through the Marvel Universe handbook, which is like Who's Who. And basically just rating the characters whether they're hot or not. Oh, my goodness. It's hilarious. The ladies are so funny and sometimes very, very naughty. It, it's a, it's an absolute hoot. Oh, gosh, we've got movie podcasts. We've got podcasts about Bob Dylan. We've got Justice League International, Blahaha podcast. We've got all kinds of stuff out there. So fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also find me on Facebook as Firestorm Fan uh, or on Twitter as Firestorm Fan as well. And pretty much anywhere Stella is, I'm going to either show up or get mentioned. It's kind of how that Yeah, goes. what's yeah. up with that? Top of mind. I think that's pretty obvious. Top of mind. Interesting. Well, as always, it was a lot of fun. You brought information and knowledge, both of which I have a lack of. <laughs> <laughs> and attention span, because I know you were texting with Josh the whole time. I was not, actually. I'm a little hurt on the on your on your 800th annual episode you did oh with the God. gang. Yeah. You didn't reveal to them that you and I were texting the whole time through the recording of the episode. Um, and now you're going to cut this part because you're too ashamed <laughs> to admit I, it. I thought I did say something about that. No. You, you brought me up. Because you, I think Mike Bailey said something like you, you yes, said hi. I was, text, I was texting him as well. Okay. But, uh, but you did not admit that we were texting because <laughs> you brought my name up and they all started yelling at you. That's true. So I think you back down. Well, here. Oh, see, now that you're on, I have a question for you. Yeah. Which of those alternate Earths did you most appreciate? Uh, I liked the one where the whole world was guys, and I had to say, he, he's hot. I thought that was the funniest. I think that was me. I think it was. <laughs> I was sort of envisioning why the last man. Oh, I was kind of thinking about like, the, the opposite of uh, the Elseworlds finest. Where they made Superman and Batman girls. Oh. I was thinking the opposite of that. I was picturing like guys dressed up as Wonder Woman stuff would be hilarious. Oh, gosh. There you go. That's your your home. There you go. You should find it. Or the the parallel world we talked about with Friends references. With Friends, yep. Who do you think is a soup Nazi? That's Seinfeld, an entirely different show. Oh, (laughs) what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way to go. Way to go. Now, if you want to know who Ugly Naked Guy is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to touch that. Who's, um, who's But it's somebody, it's somebody we know. Uh-oh. I'll let the imagination run wild at home, folks. Who's Phoebe? 
you know, we don't have enough girls in the podcasting world, do we? At least, at least in our circle. I'm sorry, that's not fair to say. In our circle of friends, I don't think we have enough ladies in the podcasting world, do we? No. Because, you know, once they meet me, they all go running anyway, right? Running the opposite direction or right. toward you? Oh. Uh, running the opposite direction. You're okay. the only one foolish enough to keep running towards me. I guess. Yeah. Uh, with open arms and a field of daisies. There it is. Um, is Remington smelling cat? Yes. Yes. As I mentioned earlier, he has atrocious <laughs> breath. That analogy as far as we can. You think so? <laughs> I think Can't we're find done. any others. I think we're done. <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. Yep. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I sincerely appreciate it. Every time I get invited, it is a special treat. Oh. I don't have a lot of free time nowadays, just with the way my life is structured. But I will always make time for you, my friend. That is the sweetest thing you've ever said. To I, take me. All, I take it all back. Oh, no. <laughs> now it's time for some listener email. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail's here. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Again, all of these comments are coming from the BatmanUniverse.net website, so thank you in advance for all of that. I did have a couple, as I am recording right now, comments and feedback from the Minority Report episode that had recently come out, but I'm going to save those until next month just so I can let that episode sort of air and take its time and let people mull over it. And I, I assume or I presume that I'm going to get more feedback, so I'll save that for the next one. So first up from episode 114 from, in fact, the irredeemable Shag himself. He says, playing catch up on podcasts right now. Just listen to BTO number 114 with Professor Alan Quarterben. Really enjoyed this fun episode and the inner 
interaction between the prof and Stella was equally fun. While I didn't own that issue of Batman, I had stopped reading Batman at least for a while around issue 500. The coverage was solid and the issue sounded interesting. Best part is that Shag dominated the conversation without even being there. Quite a feat. Even I'm impressed. Yeah, it's, it's somehow happening that... Whenever I'm podcasting with someone who knows Shag, is associated with him, then I have to bring Shag up in some way. It's either to sort of kick him while he's down, or maybe I'll praise him. Who knows? There was that one time, remember, that I tried to defend him. But it's sort of equally assured destruction because if I come up on a show that he's on, then he will also make fun of me. So I I guess this is the way that our relationship is working now. But thank you, Shag, for listening to my show show thank you and for writing in and i have several from episode 115 first up is ian clark he said i agree with you stella i really like the man of steel movie i don't care for all the bvs negativity and i wish dc fans would be more optimistic about the movie until they see it i hope bvs knocks it out of the park okay on to my inquiry dc recently had a digital sale on titles starring a female lead this included gail simone's new 52 Batgirl issues, so I bought number one and two. I read through them once and I thought they were okay. I certainly didn't think the first two issues were bad. Then I heard on both BTO and TBU comic podcasts some pretty negative things about Gail Simone's run on Batgirl. What specifically didn't you like? Where should I start reading Batgirl to get caught up? Well, Ian, uh, first of all, about Man of Steel and the BVS, thank you for also liking Man of Steel. For some reason, I can I have trouble finding people who like it. I, I don't understand. I, I think it's really good. The BVS negativity, that's also annoying, especially when people haven't seen it yet. I will say that now that it's out now, I did not like Batman vs. Superman as much as I liked Man of Steel. I think, in my opinion, the movie was really... It was jumbled, and I felt like I was watching two films until Lois Lane, spoiler, is dropped off a building, and then I felt like there was one film, and it was really united and went to the end. But there were just some really weird stuff that was going on. The visions didn't really help things, and I just wonder how people who are not in the know reacted to those visions because, you know, I, of course, was seeing parademons and the Omega symbols. I'm like, oh, it's dark side and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, Flash coming in from the future and things like that. But I don't know how people who are not versed in comics dealt with those. And I'm wondering, I, I don't think I would purchase this particular movie, but I do actually want to see the, the director's cut, the R-rated version, because I wonder if adding in those 30 minutes would make it a more cohesive film. So I wouldn't say it's a terrible film. There are certainly things that I really liked. I really liked Wonder Woman and there are other things, but I, I just didn't think it was as good as Man of Steel. Now, on to your back row inquiry. First of all, I just want to encourage you to, if you were enjoying those first two issues, you know, you've already formed, I think, an opinion. Don't be swayed uh, by what other people say, right? So if you enjoy those, I would continue reading Gail Simone's run. I think the first couple issues gave me a sense of what the run, the run as a whole was going to be. But as you get later on in the run, really around, you know, James Jr. coming back and, and Joker popping up again, I think even if you enjoyed the beginning of it, you may have some difficulties. I... You know, in my wisdom, I guess, coming back to it, I do feel bad about how harsh I was, especially on Gil Simone. And I'm, I'm, you know, I sort of backtrack now. And and I just want people to know, you know, whoever are listening, that it wasn't her. It was, you know, the writing that I just thought was not up to snuff and and up to par as as I've seen her do before. I also don't think that the, the book itself was deserving 
of Batgirl. I think because I love that character so much, it was just such a travesty to see the character's name sort of be mired by this really dark book. And that was my main problem, honestly, is how dark it was. And it was just like I was reading Batman, but Batman was a female in, in this book. There wasn't really much to distinguish her from Bruce Wayne. And I think too much focus was put on the killing joke and the after effects of that. And I understand it was New 52. But when you don't even focus on her history as Oracle, how can you really cite the killing joke and, and you know, have that PTSD and everything? And there are just things that that don't match up. I think, you know, the villains, for what they were, especially the the Nightfall villain, I think could have been a really good adversary, just wasn't dealt with as much. And then the Ricky thing. And and there are just like minutia that that I could complain about. But I just don't think that it was the spirit of Barbara Gordon. And that's really my main complaint. But again, I encourage you to continue reading, you know, if, if it's on sale or, you know, just continue reading and enjoy it if, if you uh, if you like it uh, because everyone I think deserves to form their own opinion just like you know BVS and Man of Steel I think this is the the same sort of thing uh, and come back and, and tell me what you think of it but I, I think you may see a change once you get in the, the later part in the 20s I think 29 is the one that we especially sort of were spitting upon over at the Batman universe I think that's the lucky number but yeah come back and and let me know it, it's just and and you know it was it was a new 52 error and i think that's where it all there were just problems and and batman didn't have the relationship with other people in his quote-unquote family that he should have and that was a problem and that wasn't just in this book but it was just the darkness and just wasn't the spirit of barbara gordon but continue reading tell me what you think and and i'd be interested to, to hear what your opinions are Next up from Jacob Pitak. I was turned on to this podcast by a friend of mine, not myself a comic book guy, but I did enjoy the discussion in the new demographics of people getting into comic books. Also, the film and television reviews were well-reasoned and equally well-defended. As a playwright, my usual sources of inspiration are usually obscure historical events and wide-world folklore. After hearing this podcast, I'm going to start stealing from Marvel and DC. This podcast also reminded me about the high quality of character development and complex plot devices used in comic book stories. Also, I think it's time the host got a break from the third degree questions. You'd think she was being interviewed by Homeland Security. Oh, and by the way, I think Barack Obama's doing a great job, just in case they read this. Well, thank you, Jacob. Thank you for hopping on to this this particular episode. I think there was a reason why I think that you may be uh, friends with my co-host on this particular episode, uh, which was Chris Carnes. But I nonetheless appreciate any new listeners, and I'm very thankful for your positive comments. Next is Wheelchair Ninja, one of my favorites. She says, hi, so just a couple of things. You mentioned getting to see Babs on the TNT Teen Titans show. Unfortunately, that series has been canceled before they even shot a pilot. At this point, our best chance of seeing a live-action Barbara Gordon is Jada Malone in Batman vs. Superman. Rumor is that's who she's going to play in the movie, though the news that she's only appearing in the R-rated Blu-ray release has a lot of people thinking that her only scene will be a flashback to the killing joke. Ugh. Well, first of all, this is what happens, I guess, when I don't read and keep up with comic news. That's a bummer about the TNT Teen Titans show. I was kind of wondering how Nightwing was going to deal with both Barbara Gordon and Starfire in there. That would have been very interesting, I'm sure. I was actually thinking that it would have been a lot of fun had that show gone that Tom and I do a weekly or whatever uh, podcast on this show. I never talked to him about it. This could be the first time if he listens to the show that he's hearing it. But I thought that Tom Penneries and I discussing 
you know, a Teen Titans plot with uh, both of our, I guess, favorite love interests would be super interesting. So it's a bummer that's not going to happen. As for the, yeah, I totally forgot about, you know, Jenna Malone, another reason to watch that R-rated. And what a bummer about that. Uh, <laughs> that She got shelved. Again, The Killing Joke is sort of plaguing us all over. Speaking of R-rated, The Killing Joke animated film just got its, its yes, you're going to be R-rated. And I was looking at uh, a background. It was like maybe a five to ten minute little feature on The Killing Joke. And in order to sort of make the piece a little bit longer as well as get you more emotionally engaged in who Barbara Gordon is, they're adding time at the beginning and showing her as Batgirl. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, you know, stab and twist the knife a little deeper. Thank you so much for giving me really heartbreaking news, Wheelchair Ninja. But yeah, I again, I'm go- I'm probably going to check out that Batman versus Superman R-rated version because I do want to see how everything sort of gets tied together, and it would be lovely to see Barbara Gordon in live action. Though I hope it's not a bang bang bang, and there's a little bit more meat to it. And my last comment is from Carolyn. Hi, Cell, long-time listener, first-time commenter. Huzzah! Congratulations on your prediction with Greg being the fuke. I thought it might be him, but I wasn't as confident as you were. I like that Chris asked you if you're reading any other books. I'm going to have to give Spider-Woman a try now. I do like Scarlet Witch. I took the quiz, too, but I only got a 7 out of 10. Does that give me a grade of a C? I do like the trivia, though. Perhaps you can bring it back again sometime with you or Chris as the quiz master. He seems like a smart guy and asks things that drew out good information. Great show. Thank you. Carolyn, are you also friends with... With Chris Carnes. Uh, no, thank you so much for writing in and welcome to the show, I guess, since this is the first time I'm talking to you, even though you've been listening for a long time. And any person who has lasted from those breathy or breathy first 10 episodes, I really, really, really appreciate you listening to me drone on for 100 plus. As for, yes, I really encourage you to read Spider Woman, the, the new Dennis Hopeless run. I think that this particular volume is amazing i know that she had a short run because you know marvel does a lot of renumbering so there were like six issues back when all the shoot what was that it wasn't spider island there was a tie-in like a spider craziness with like kane coming back and all that i can't remember what that was but that was so jarring because of that being a tie-in in in that event that i wouldn't suggest that like his first run on spider Woman. so start now you know with her being pregnant and yes it seems like oh my gosh i'm being thrown into this but everyone is she is all of her friends are so you're like with the people inside i really recommend that i also really recommend ms marvel i think it's amazing with kamala khan and basically any of those Marvel titles uh, that I mentioned, I think you should read. And actually, speaking of Chris Carnes, we were talking about Lumberjanes. I got the first two trades on Comixology over spring break and just devoured them. It is a lot of fun, and I do recommend Lumberjanes. And I think it's totally the type of book to do a crossover with Gotham Academy. So that's another thing that I would recommend to you. As for the quiz, that would, would be a lot of fun. I know, you know, on a show that I used to be on, Spider-Man Crawl Space, they usually did an annual or biannual I guess you know every two years Spider Jeopardy and that was a lot of fun and and I've done it twice here and you kind of do need a third person because I think while we haven't exhausted all questions it's hard to like do or I guess sorry a fourth person like a game master or clue master we could call Chris Carnes Arthur Brown but because there are three people and we're always coming up with questions it will be nice to have sort of a game master and he'd be the one to come up with it but Maybe that's something I can talk to Chris about. 
And that is it. Again, if you wrote into me about Minority Report or you commented, and there's also someone who wrote to me on Facebook, and I haven't forgotten about that, uh, about the Rogue One Star Wars trailer. Don't worry, I'm saving that for next episode. So thank you again. You can always write into me at backworldoracle at gmail.com or just as these fine people have been doing, go on the batmanuniverse.net where my podcast is and then leave a comment at the bottom. I do see it. I get an email about it. Well, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to come back solo because Shag is gone and I'm fumigating the place. Uh, when I come back, I'm going to review Batgirl 49 and Gotham Academy number 15. But first, Zias' Radio Hour featuring I Am the Walrus, do 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 do, by The Beatles. <laughs>
Charles was so fast about me to Edmund Earl of Gloucester. Seek him out at the British party. Welcome back. This is a big one. This Batgirl one. There's going to be a big discussion on it. I'm sure you know what I'm going to be talking about. So this is Batgirl 49, Minefield. Writers Brendan Fletcher and Cameron Stewart. Artists in order of appearance. Horatio Dominguez, Babs Tarr, Roger Robinson, Ming Doyle, and James Harvey. Color is Sergei Lapointe with James Harvey. Frankie and Babs are at the local Burnside coffee shop as Frankie starts questioning Babs about her knowledge of and relationship with Greg. Babs doesn't recall, as things and names called for Java get a little weird. Frankie is actually inside Babs' brain, and this isn't the first time. Unfortunately, Babs' memories are scrambled and she may not wake up. Currently, Frankie and Dinah are in the fugue's lair. Frankie plans on going in again, but this time searching for the Digibabs to help her. As this is going on, Spoiler and Bluebird are searching the tunnels for the fugue. Frankie enters Babs' brain again and immediately finds Digibabs, who is hoping they are still friends, but Frankie tells her she doesn't trust her and has a delete button to prove it unless she helps heal Babs. As they walk the streets, they find an anomaly, a young Greg talking with the young Babs, and Digibabs attacks him. We then discover that over three years ago, Batgirl took down a Vinton Burwell, a plumber who robs banks and whistles Yankee Doodle while he does it. Later, they find another anomaly when Babs is studying with Greg. She studies alone. Digibabs fights off the fugue and rescues Frankie. Then we see potentially the first interaction between Batgirl and the new fugue, who used his time in prison to think about the information Batgirl must have, and he decides then to make his first withdrawal on that information. We see the first interaction between Batman and Batgirl when she broke into his cave and he said he couldn't trust her and told her to leave. We see the confrontation between Jim and Babs when he finds out she's actually Batgirl and he accidentally falls to his death. The fugue overruns Digibabs and Frankie until Frankie seems to emit a high-pitched scream. I don't know if this has come from Dinah or what. We then see a splash page of events that have possibly never occurred, like Babs in a wheelchair, Batman's ID revealed, the funeral of Jim Gordon, Joe and Alicia not getting married, background Robin out on patrol, Kadir getting slapped in the face, and yes, the killing joke. Frankie follows the fugue to a gravesite, fights him, then digs Babs up before Digibabs knocks Frankie out of the system. Dinah suggests merging the broken bags with the Digibabs once the negative coding is again erased. This happens and Babs is back and remembers being kidnapped and taken to this lab and not for the first time. The few could be in league with prior villains like Velvet Tiger, shout out to uh, Martin Gray there, Daguerreotype, the motorcycle twins that I can't remember their name, but it's not clear. What is clear is that he's going to use the Negahedron as a weapon unless the girls can find him first. Next up, the Great Burnside Brawl. I first want to talk about the cover, which I think is just amazing by Babs Tar. Just like the confusion and you're totally feeling like you're on an acid trip or drugs. And that's probably how her mind feels because it's really messed up. And, you know, just like no identification almost going on. Uh, her mind being unwound almost and bats of course and and just weird gym i mean it's just i think it's amazing and her eyes not showing anything because there's not a a lot of life going on with with bats at this time so well done bats tar on your cover i like that the different artists that we have because when you open it up and you see all the art these artists you're a little overwhelmed but it's great because they portray the different broken and potentially false memories that we see 
Many are familiar and potentially true, but with slight differences, and others are certainly what-if situations. I think the greatest one is certainly Jim finding out her secret, because this is something that we always talk about, right? It, it happened pre-crisis, and we saw what that was like for them, but... We haven't seen what it is, you know, in, in the post-New 52 or post-Flashpoint world. And we feel like, and I'm saying we because, you know, the people that I hang out with, right? I think it's it's pretty plausible that he knows her identity just because of those interactions that they were very close together. And, I mean, should you not know your daughter, potentially your most favorite person in the world, should you not know even if there's a cow covering up her face. But this is certainly a, a very negative reaction. And I think, you know, Batgirl Year One, he certainly would have been very angry, but I don't think this, like, sort of spitting venom kind of anger, and, and of course he dies, which is, woo! It's a little intense there. I imagine that there would be, at the very beginning, some anger, um, either because she had been lying all those years or just because of the danger of it. But... Given what he does, you know, I think that he would understand that there is some hypocrisy. I think there's sort of a double layer because, you know, the Frankie and Babs relationship, right, when Babs didn't want Frankie to go off, I think there's some similarity there that Jim does the same thing, but he wouldn't want her to go off. But in the end, I think that they would work really well together, and that's why I put forward that idea that if Jim were to continue as Batman for an extended period of time, why not take Batgirl as his partner and be sort of a a pseudo-Robin? But this was, I think, out of control and, and very dramatic, and I think that's why you can tell it's a false memory. The Batman in the cave, I think, is a little ambiguous because it seems like something that she would do to prove herself, you know, in a very sort of Silver Age way. And then he gets bent out of shape because, you know, someone breaking in is not the way to prove yourself. You have to do it in other ways. And so, of course, that just means that he can't trust her. So I almost imagine that this is a true depiction even though once you snap out of it bad says wait that's not what happened and when she says that i i almost don't take it as that's not what happened but she's trying to defend batman to a certain extent because she you know she does respect and regard him highly and love him so why not defend his character there but i mean that that seems like something that he would honestly do and and we've seen it happen before i mean that girl year one he passed her out or he made her pass out yeah you can't take that as a transitive he made her pass out you know the gas and then uh, had alfred drive her and you know this is not little girls work that sort of thing so that's i think a potential one I knew Digibabs would come back at some point, but I'm surprised that she thinks of Frankie as a friend and not a hostile right away. That was a little jarring to see her running towards like, oh, Frankie, do you forgive me? I mean, does she not remember what had happened? I'm glad we're giving backstory to the whistling plumber, but it's still unclear how he is able to get the tech and the know-how once he was released from jail. I mean, it's going to sound disrespectful. I don't mean it that way, but he was a plumber. So, you know, being able to rob banks and then turn into the fugue and, and all of that are quite different. So does he have someone paying him? If it's true that he has a backing of somebody, could it be Velvet Tiger? Because she's sort of the one that inherited that corporation and she would have the, the tech know-how and everything and potentially they met up. I mean, if he's mentioning these people, these could be villains that he has met while he was in prison. Maybe. I'm unclear as to the three years quote and how it's used because it is used twice. Once, which makes it seem like three years ago, if you look at this, you know, Baz was a young girl, uh, his 
father's with a, a blonde lady and she witnessed the whistling plumber rob a bank and then again it stated how long his prison sentence matched up and so i don't understand you know how both of these could have because you know three years then Batgirl finds him, and then he's away three years. So it's a little weird if, if you read it, and I read it several times. Is this just another damaged memory where his time, and because he's so aggrieved, I guess, um, he, he puts it on her that it, it was three years ago. That I mean, clearly she remembered some sort of break-in, but then she's so young. I mean, how can she... How, why was he operating for that long a time when she became Batgirl? And I was trying to think about the Batgirl timeline, but she does look like she's 12 or less. And I, I don't know if that matches up, honestly. So I think there's something going on. And then the blonde lady, I think, is a little weird. And I was wondering if Jim Gordon was dating Sarah Essen, if you look at that particular thing where, where Babs has the ice cream. I want to talk about the splash page. And the big question I want to put forward is... Is it all lies? Are they all broken memories? And the creative team, I especially remember Cameron, Cameron Stewart talking about it, said that sort of it's all up to interpretation. But the thought is that potentially these moments are, I guess, not in continuity. They never really existed. It was all part of her mind. So there are some, and, and I can't, you know, there are a lot that, you know, clearly didn't happen for example i don't remember kadir getting slapped in the face by backroll and backroll saying i hate you but then on the opposite side i do see barbara gordon in a wheelchair and we do know that is true we see jim gordon of course his funeral we know he's not dead and then right next to that we have bruce wayne unmasked and two faces behind him and and that's not true in the middle you've got two pairs of lips and one of them is it seems to me it seems to me that it's luke and and i love you i don't know if they've ever said i love you but they are in a relationship alicia and joe that marriage is not going through you can tell like the people the witnesses are looks very awkward and there's some tears so they were married. And then you get to Batgirl and Robin running around. And well, that happened, right? But I guess you could say it didn't happen because if you look at the suits because she's wearing the Burnside suit and she hung out with him before that. And then it gets a little bit smaller. Now, the one, of course, that I didn't talk about was the killing joke. And I think this is where it all comes together, right? Because if these are a bunch of broken and false memories... Does that mean the killing joke never happened? So the first problem with saying... Now, let me just say that I would love for that to be true. I would love for it to just be some sort of out-of-continuity story. But I don't... <laughs> first of all, in terms of this page, there are some true events going on, so I don't know how you can reconcile that. The second thing is that I think it's it muddies the water so much to say the killing joke doesn't happen because then, you know, how is she paralyzed... How did her purpose, how did she fulfill her purpose and become Oracle, that sort of thing. So it's it's a little dangerous now to say that, that it doesn't exist. It's such a terrible part of her history, but it pushed her character forward so much that I think it's difficult to say that it doesn't. And... Yeah, I guess I just don't, you, you would ha then you'd be like, well, how did she, how was she paralyzed? I, that's sort of the big question. If the killing joke didn't happen, how was she paralyzed? But, you know, it would be lovely.
lovely to say that the killing joke didn't exist, not only in her history, but just period. How my life would change, you know what I'm saying? But uh, you should write in. Write in to me uh, at beggarl.oracle at gmail.com or uh, post on the Batman Universe. Tell me what you think about this particular splash page and if you think they're all damaged memories, if there's some ambiguity there. And what do you think about the killing joke? Do you think that it actually... Does it exist anymore in her history? Was it just a dream? Let me know. I think it seems too easy at the end merging Digibabs with the damaged one, and I'm wondering if there will be any leftover trauma from this. After all, there is a period of time that Digibabs wasn't around, which we can really say is Gail Simone's run. So will there be residual memory loss? Because she comes upon people and she's like, who's this? So even if you're taking damage, I mean... I don't even know if there's any clean memory left in the real Babs. It's all like coming from Digibabs and then Frankie's taking out the, the, the bad code. So what, this seems like there's going to be a lot of memory gap. I don't know how that can be explained away. I assume the rooftop scene that we see with the Fugue and Batgirl is the first time that the Fugue takes Batgirl. But I'm wondering how often and for how long he kept her in that lab. And does anyone else find that disturbing that he's just got her like chained down there and is like talking to her and it's clearly not the first time. It's like when Arcade kidnapped the X-Men and had them changed into costumes when they woke up. You kind of wonder about that sometimes. And of course the Negahedron comes into play as I absolutely knew it would. So this is, it was certainly a uh, exposition filled issue but i think there's so much going on and it's pushing forward and and begging so many questions that it's it's really engaging but it's also jumbled and jarring but it is so creative and and i think you're you're meant to be asking questions and i don't know if there are any definite answers so we're going to have to see with issue number 50 and i'm so i'm going to give this an 8 out of 10 bats Next up is Gotham Academy number 16, Yearbook Part 3. Interstitials written by Brendan Fletcher, interstitials penciled and colored by Adam Archer, and interstitials inked by Sandra Hope. Scene! Robin breaks into Maps' room and pulls out her yearbook. First story, Maps' Day Out, written by James Tiny in the fourth, illustrated by Christian Wildgoose, colors by Sergei Lapointe. At a diner, Maps talks to Colton about her grand scheme to meet Batman and show him some planned adventures. Colton goes to the GCPD with some smoke bombs and drops them accidentally, which gives Maps the distraction she needs to go up to the roof, turn on the signal, and wait for Batman. As long as she doesn't fall asleep. She does, and she wakes up in her room with a note that says, Love the drawings from Batman. Scene. Damien doesn't believe this far-fetched story and runs away with the yearbook once Pommeline catches him. Last story, Boring Sundays, written, illustrated, and lettered by Ken Nimura. Maps talks about the different Sundays, like where they can go to downtown together. Fun! Sundays where all of us in a mood and others can't be bothered. Sad. And Boring Sundays. Yawn. One such Boring Sunday, Maps finds a time capsule with a map, some candies, and a letter from 1779. The first year of Gotham Academy. Students discovered an old crypt near the student pavilion, but believe the faculty are against them. Kyle can't seem to remember a pavilion being where it says on the map, so the group starts an adventure. They decide to meet up later at the site when Olive goes back to the room and discovers Maps had created the capsule, letter, and mystery because she hates Sundays when they aren't together. Olive continues the ruse, friends are together, and all is right in the world. Next up, rock stars, demons, and demon cats. So I can only imagine 
Clarion is going to play a part in this, and I'm really hoping so because I, I do love him. So the Damien interstitials are a little strange. Uh, shouldn't he have more important things to do than just hop into Matt's room and look through her stuff? Does he have a crush on her? It is fun to see him in this light, you know, namely as a 12-year-old, but it does seem a little strange, and clearly he goes there just for that yearbook since he uses the powder to find where it's hidden. Just what's going on? Now, this particular issue has only two stories, so they are a little longer and perhaps more fleshed out. Out of the two of them, I think I like Lazy Sundays best just because it has a nice message, and it's great to see the love that Maps has for her friends and, you know, the willingness that Olive has to make Maps happy. Though, who knows how long they can keep this up. And also, isn't anyone else concerned about finding candies from 1779? Please tell me you did not put those in your mouth. Why do you think your mommy or daddy are always telling you, don't put that in your mouth? Let's find out. Hi, Hi. kids. Why are we on television anyway? We're here to tell a little story about why you shouldn't put things into your mouth when you don't know what they are. And why you should never take anything a stranger tries to give you. Why not? Because if you ate somebody else's medicine, some bad food, or some poison, you could get very sick. Ugh! I don't want to be sick. And that's why before you eat anything, you should always ask someone you love if it's okay. Okay. I love you. Can I eat the guitar? No. Oh. But, but you can help me sing a song about eating things that don't belong inside you. Okay. I wasn't really hungry anyway. Well, wait. Maybe a little bit. Okay, everybody. If you see something that you want to eat before you do anything, remember this song. Don't you put it in your mouth. Don't you bite it in your mouth. Don't you stuff it in your face. Don't stuff it in your face. Though it might look good to eat. Though it might look good to eat. And it might look good to taste. And it might look good to taste. You could get sick. Yuck. Real quick. Yuck. Real sick. Real ick. Don't you put it in your mouth, uh-uh, till you ask someone you love, that's right, sis, if it's okay to eat, if it's okay to eat, like a muffin or a beet, like a muffin or a beet, if you don't know just what it is, remember boys and girls, don't put it in your mouth. Hey, what am I doing? I don't even like beets. And don't put it in your mouth. Bye-bye, everyone. Remember, boys and girls, never take anything from a stranger and don't put things in your mouth when you don't know what they are. If you eat somebody else's medicine or some bad food or some poison, you could get very sick. Always ask someone you love before you put anything in your mouth. Maps' first story, which, wow, think about it. Aren't they both about Maps? It's fun because isn't it so true that when you want to stay up for something is really hard to. And thinking about it biblically, I do think about uh, Jesus going off to pray and his disciples falling asleep and they do it two or three times and he comes back and he's like, can you not just stay awake for a moment? So it's true. I I don't know how hard the disciples tried to stay awake, but they did fall asleep. I'm glad she took someone like Colton with her and shared her plan with him because he has the gadgets and, you know, the sort of the tricky side to him, and he bears no ill will towards Batman like Olive does. So if you had a question of why isn't Olive helping her, that's the reason. Olive doesn't like Batman. And, man, Batman is sweet and actually kind and nice in the story. Though, again, an instance of him taking a comatose girl home. Huh. Stranger danger, my friends. This story does also beg the question of whether Maps could be 
a good Robin, and I think she certainly would be a very Stephanie-esque, though maybe slightly more spastic Robin, but I think she would treat the cape and domino mask and pixie boots with great honor. I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10 diplomas. The stories are still fun, have a great message, but I think not as fun as the previous, some previous stories that we have read. Black Canary number 9, again, I'm not going to review this, but this was sort of a one-off from the main story of the White Canary and all that stuff that is going on, and basically a day in the life of the band, and they end up playing for uh, a little girl's birthday party, and she's actually going to be, she's a hit for some assassins, and then Black Canary has to fight them all off before they go on. It's very, actually fun. It's interesting that, you know, you enjoy a one-off more than you do the the main story. I'm going to give issue number 9 a 9 out of 10. Next up is Batman 66. Ah, music to my ears. Thank you very much, Stella. It was an honor, thrill, and lots of fun to be with you on the last regular podcast, and I thought you and Donovan both did an excellent job on the thought-provoking Minority Report. Well done. Hello, Batfans! Welcome once again to the Batman 66 review segment. Thank you for downloading, and as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. I'm Chris, and I'm very glad to be with you today as I'll examine Batman 66 meets The Man from U.N.C.L.E. number 4, featuring our favorite heroine, Batgirl. Issue number 4 was cover dated May 2016. The cover art was provided once again by Michael and Laurel Allred, and the contents were originally released in download format. Our story is The Bruce Wayne Affair, Chapter 4, A Familiar Face. And it was written by Jeff Parker and pencils by David Hahn and Pasquale Quilano, and inks by Carl Kessel and Pasquale Quilano. When we last left our heroes in Monaco, we now see that Batman successfully passed himself off being in disguise as Bruce Wayne to Batgirl, Ilya, and Napoleon to infiltrate a party hosted by the royals with dignitaries and business magnates in attendance. Princess Chase introduces herself to Bruce and then introduces Bruce to the newest members of the country's cabinet, Dr. Somnambula and Madame Circe, also known as the mind-controlling villains, the Sandman and the Siren. Bruce informs Her Majesty that they are wanted fugitives back in Gotham, but the Sandman tells Bruce that Gotham Law is out of reach here. Ilya and Napoleon approach, and Circe tries to put them under her spell, but Napoleon tells her it won't work as both have earplugs on. Princess Chase whispers to Bruce that she knows her husband is under mind control, and Mr. Freeze is also a new member of the cabinet. Cersei then uses her sing-song spell on Bruce, and he seemingly succumbs to her power and is led away, and introduced to other cabinet members, the Scarecrow, Poison Ivy, and Egghead. The Scarecrow tells Bruce that they all answer to someone named Corvid, while Batgirl listens in on a transmitter and watches from afar with binoculars, before they all prepare to leave. Ilya and Napoleon are followed by enemy agents with their guns drawn. Robin blocks their path with the British Batmobile, and in the ensuing gunfight, Ilya and Napoleon come out victorious, leaving Robin to ask and confirm if the attackers were killed, a scenario not often seen on the Batman TV series. Our male heroes rendezvous with Batgirl, and follow Bruce and the villains boarding a submarine. Then, over the next five pages or so, our heroes are in pursuit with the Bat-Sub. The trail ends at an enormous underwater base. The heroes manage to board the base, but an alarm is sounded. Bruce reveals he was not under the siren spell and changes into Batman. 
Fights ensue in separate compartments, including one with Batgirl squaring off against the sword-wielding Olga. Suddenly, all the compartment doors close shut. Gas seeps into the areas, knocking out the heroes and villains alike. Gas-masked henchmen drag the unconscious group all to the command center of the base, and everyone soon revives to the voice of the mastermind behind this operation, Dr. Hugo, to be continued. The Man from Uncle TV series didn't have a lot of recurring characters outside the main cast, but had many popular guest stars known for movies or music or for their future work on other TV series. Notable movie stars that appeared on the 60s TV series were Joan Crawford, Elsa Lanchester, Boris Karloff, and a very young Kurt Russell. A non-mustached Sonny Bono appeared with Cher in an episode, and Nancy Sinatra appeared in another. Those who would go on to bigger notoriety would be Carol O'Connor, Ricardo Montalban, Angela Lansbury, Martin Landau, and Jill Ireland, who appeared on the show five times and was married to David McCollum in real life, but later divorced during the show's run. Also, pre-Star Trek members William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy would both appear in the same episode entitled The Project Stragus Affair. It's also worth noting for Bat fans that several actors had appearances in both The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and Batman, and those would include Joan Collins, Vincent Price, and George Sanders, whose Bat characters appear in this comic book series, as well as Cesar Romero, Roger C. Carmel, and Batgirl Yvonne Craig herself, who appeared in the episode The Brain Killer Affair. In future review segments, I'll talk about the Man from U.N.C.L.E. TV series spinoff with a female lead, its influence on other media such as the Flintstones and Archie comic books, and the recent big screen movie with a connection to a current big screen comic book film. As for the issue itself, I thought it was interesting that Robin gave pause and had to ask the men from U.N.C.L.E. if the gunmen they shot were indeed dead. Death was somewhat a rare occurrence on Batman. I can think of Molly in the first Riddler episodes, a pair of gunmen at the end of the Zelda episodes, the guinea pig goons in the movie, and the debated instance of the frozen security guard that falls and you hear a crumble in the first Mr. Freeze episodes. I'm not that versed in The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and if death was depicted there. I have seen a few episodes rerun in syndication over my years. I vaguely recall an episode where Ilya and Napoleon were preparing to go on a raid, stating that they were going to use rubber bullets, where they seemed to have some qualms about killing. But I think in other episodes they had bombs and going off and so explosions too. So I'll defer to any man from Uncle Season aficionado to share their take on the violence that was on the series. Perhaps it was the time and how violence was depicted on television. Certainly the man from Uncle did get campy during its run of the series, no doubt due to the popularity of Batman. The big reveal of Dr. Hugo was long time coming, and he had been a recurring character over the Batman 66 comic book series. He was my second suspect behind the Penguin. I did like how the reveal was executed. I had no problems or qualms with the artwork. I did think the underwater scenes in the subs had way too many pages devoted to it, and this bogged down the issue. I'm not sure why our heroes were knocked out with gas as they weren't bound or put in any trap when they awoke. What was the purpose other than moving them and Hugo revealing himself? I'm not sure how it was necessary. Maybe it'll be clear in the next issue. Over the TBU website, Jerry Green gave this 3 out of 5. I'll go a little higher and give this 7 out of 10 bats. Before I go, I'd like to thank Stella for having me on and for co-hosting with her in the previous regular episode. I had a great time. I apologize to Shag, Josh, and Donovan if they were offended in any way with the opening hypothetical question. It was all meant in good fun. I'd like to thank anyone who left comments on that particular podcast. 
Also, a word of clarification, I do plan to review the IDW Batman comic strip books when this series wraps up. I suspect there will be an interim period during DC's rebirth and the start of the Batman 66 meets the Steed and MFPL miniseries. Listeners, please feel free to leave any comments for myself over on the podcast on the TBU website, and please leave us a good review over on iTunes. If you wish to contact me directly to talk about comics or podcasts, I can be reached at bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. Gotham City, one word. Thank you for your support. What plans does Dr. Hugo have for our heroes? Did any of the villains know that Dr. Hugo was their leader? What plans do our heroes have for Dr. Hugo? The answer to these wry, wild, wet, watery, worldly worrisome wonders to be willfully answered next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. Thanks, Chris. Remember that Shiver Spotlight, as well as Babs in the Tube, is sort of out there in limbo right now, though there may be an idea floating around for Babs in the Tube. I'll let you know. If it happens, you'll hear it. (laughs) You'll hear it here first, folks. Finally, I've got my literature recommendation, and I am so, so, so sorry. First of all, to Professor Allen, because he was on, and he was only on the front half and not the back half, and... I did not ask for his literature recommendation, even though he is he's a learned, learned man. So I am so sorry. And last week, I just forgot. It was partially that and partially I wasn't reading any books at the time. I was actually reading lots of uh, Spider-Man comics and, and other stuff. So here I am, back with my literature recommendation. And it's actually The Razor's Edge by W. Somerset Mon. And this is what the back cover says. Somerset Maugham's greatest and most enduringly popular novel tells the story of Larry Darrell, an attractive and enigmatic American who forsakes the comforts of bourgeois society to live a life dedicated to the pursuit of truth and meaning. Larry's former fiance is the beautiful and vivacious Isabel Maturin, who is struggling to maintain a family nearly destroyed by the Depression. He is also attracted to the lost, wanton Sophie McDonald, whose life he attempts to save from its downward spiral. In the midst of the drama stands Elliot Templeton, the irresistibly lovable arch style with a heart of gold, perhaps Mon's greatest fictional creation. Spanning three continents and nearly half a century, The Razor's Edge marks the culmination of Mon's storytelling craft. It's a deeply affecting, enormously readable classic that continues to draw readers of every generation. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. I wasn't sure what to expect with this. I thought it was going to be like a heavy read and I wasn't going to enjoy it but I've been racing through this I read a hundred pages just yesterday alone Uh, I think I'll finish this in like the matter of four days I really recommend it and what's great about Larry and so interesting is that and even the author and so Mon is like the narrator within the story and says that it's true it's pretty close to truth and but he changes you know people around but he says even at the beginning that his main character is someone he only encountered like sparsely throughout decades a couple decades I guess and so it's so interesting that uh, it revolves around Larry but you don't really see Larry except like few and far between and and you you learn about him through other characters and and random happenings and things but I've really enjoyed this and I love Larry as a character you know all the rest of the characters the author and the narrator notwithstanding are really focused on money and sort of that's they feel like living 
trying to get a name for themselves living in high society and things like that is the way to go. And so his fiance had told him because he wanted to marry her and said, like, we'll live on 3000 a month pounds, I think, because they were in uh, or francs because they were in France. And she's like, no, I can't live that way. You know, they were going to live in a small little place. And so that's why she ends up leaving him. Though she says it so. She doesn't stand in his way. But, you know, it's rather selfish. So she gets all this money. And I knew we were in like the late. 20s and I thought something really bad because these people are so focused on money something bad's going to happen I feel like you know the, the stock market is going to crash and then it does and you know Larry's still he's fine because he wasn't concerned with that and it's so it's just interesting how you know he just goes away from sort of the norms of society and, and what people expect him to do is not necessarily what he does he's a really intriguing character so I'm nearly done with that so I'm glad I, I could read enough of it to, to get that recommendation but I really do recommend it and I do again apologize for not having a literature recommendation the past two episodes. Well, that's it. Thanks again to my friend, the Irredeemable Shag, for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have him on and talking about comics. Please send any questions or comments to BackworldTheOracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at BackworldTheOracle. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. We're entering spring, so I hope you go out there and enjoy just the lovely weather. Go on a hike or something. And until next time, fly on, Bats Lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm well. How are you? Fine. You sounded nervous like you weren't sure you called the right number. Well, it's been years since we've spoken. Yeah, but the beauty of it is I've still somehow managed to dominate your show. <laughs> I don't What do you think that's about? I, I don't know. You know, like I noticed on one of the recent shows. Well, actually, I guess it wasn't recent. It was like your, your I don't know, 1700th anniversary special you did. <laughs> <laughs> and you were chatting with all the guys, and I don't, oh, remember, yeah, yeah. I don't remember if it was in the outtakes or the regular part of the episode, but so Josh says something along the lines of, why don't you just marry Shag? And then you said, well, he's already married, and the sound of sadness in your voice <laughs> clearly came through the phone, oh. message received. So, Well, there's nothing that can be done. Yeah, you don't know. There's there's always magic that can happen. We'll just have to wait it out. <laughs> oh gosh, like Mephisto and um, Spider Man. Right, could be a brand new day sooner or later. You never know. <laughs> I got I got to save Aunt Matilda. It's uh, Aunt Matilda. Well, I don't have an Aunt May. I don't have an Aunt so Matilda either. Aunt I don't have, any, I have. I have an Aunt Mary Ann. How's how's that? That's pretty close. Pretty pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You do pop up a lot, it seems. And then if I'm on somebody else's show, then we'll talk about you. And then apparently, though, apparently I wasn't there to defend myself, but you may have insulted me when you were on Tom's show. 
<laughs> Whenever that airs in like six years, I guess you'll hear. Oh, it. that's what I was saying. He said it was going to come out in May, and I said, "You mean July?" Well, he kept saying like nice things about you, and I wasn't going to have that. I just I was not having that. So, <laughs> I have an important question. Is this for outtakes, the air, or is this off the air? Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> no, yes, it does. <laughs> I have trust me. Everything I'm saying tonight is orchestrated on the assumption it will appear somewhere. Now, if you tell me we're oh. off the record, then we yeah. can have a conversation. <laughs> well, I just wondered if Remington was with you. He is not. That was a conscious decision. I'm tired of his cold nose tapping me in the elbow when I stop petting him. Oh. He's got a thing where he taps me with his cold, wet nose. I know. And yeah, it's real sweet until your arms covered with snot. <laughs> They're not. It's not like a dog. That's a little exaggerative. That's hyperbolic. Okay. Well, how do you think the nose gets wet? He keeps licking it. That's how. It <laughs> Or snot. Those are the two ways a nose can get wet. It's yeah. icky either way. Okay. Okay. And his and his breath is horrid. Well, whose fault is that? His. He should brush his teeth. Well, you're the pet owner. You need to brush his teeth. Have you ever tried to pet brush a cat's teeth? Not a cat's. A dog's. Sure. They are completely different animals and respond completely different to handling. <laughs> <laughs> Try giving a cat a bath sometime and see how that works out for your arms. Probably not well. <laughs> Unless you're wearing Kevlar. There you go. All right, well, let me stand up and I guess need... Oh, no. What? You want me to fall asleep? No, but see okay. if you stood up, then Remington wouldn't paw you. He'd be talking still. I'm not letting you put this... I'm not going to give you anything worth putting in the outtakes about this. You already got your Remington nose-tapping me thing. That's going to the outtakes. I know that. <laughs> I'm not giving you anything more. Do you not trust me? Not even a little bit. Oh. I trust you as far... Well, I'd say I trust you as far as I could throw you, but I think I actually could chuck you pretty far. You're so tiny. You're like a little, you know, sna- like you know when you on Halloween you buy the kind of candy you give out and it says fun-sized? You're like fun-sized. So I think I could probably chuck you pretty far. So I can't use that expression. But no, I don't trust you. Wow. Where's the love, man? Where's the love? It's been hey, several I'm, months. I'm here, right? Yeah. That's true. Bailey's what? What? What did you say? I said it was selfish on my part. Oh, it's selfish on your part. Yeah. Um. So I guess we're recording right now. I kind of assumed you hit the, the record button. Because <laughs> if you haven't, I've wasted a lot of good material. And a lot uh, of bad material. Well, I always say that because I didn't do my intro or anything. Just started rambling on. But that's okay. How is that different from when I'm usually on? It's true. Oh, you didn't do the whole sponsorship and all that stuff. I know. You just started. I'm like, oh, I guess we're recording. I started. I started. You started. How come you're taking over my show? According to somebody, somebody who you spoke to recently, they're worried that I invite myself on the show too often. It's true. Is that really how that works? Do I really invite myself on your show, Stella? The truth is that I had an Excel worksheet, and the last time that you were on, I said, oh, do you want to do this? And I wrote your name. So you were slotted for this episode and then, like, some other episode that you said you'd be upset with me if I didn't invite you on for. Okay. Good. So. So it's not it's not your fault. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm invited to be on this show. She asks me to come join her because she loves hanging out with me. Yeah. 
you I hope you edit out all these dramatic pauses you keep doing. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> what was that? I tried to mute it. That was me coughing. Oh, I'm I sick. Was... I'm, I'm horribly sick. I'm. Oh, are you still sick? Uh, I'm sick again. <laughs> oh, because you were I... sick on who's who. I was, uh, and then I got better, and then my daughter coughed all over my face oh, for no. several days in a row because she thought it was funny, and sure enough, I'm sick now, and what you don't know is I keep muting my microphone and coughing oh. up a lung. Uh, I'm so I think sorry. I've, I've coughed up about four lungs since we've been recording. But Okay. You know what would help you get through? Remington? Yes. No. But uh, he's one of those like service animals that sort of relieves pain. <laughs> you know? No, no, he's not. Oh, okay. Getting nervous, actually. They, uh, I'm putting together my travel budget for this year, and it's it's been cut in half. Uh, and I'm not sure which states I'm going to get to. And my boss said some of the states I went to last year, she doesn't want me to go to this year. Uh oh, so, it's probably going to be Virginia. I, I don't know if Virginia or North Carolina make it on the list. I'll make sure to get over to to, to come see you. That's sad. I'm gonna make my. I'm gonna make an effort. Okay. You're gonna take me out in the town. We're gonna paint the town red. I hope so. Tom and I. I mean, you know, with everything we say about each other, we actually really had fun. So we were we were looking forward to it again. I'm hoping to, although we can do it without Tom this time. Just you and me. With, well, don't you think he'd be sad? <laughs> I'm just saying that to get Tom's goat. Yeah. And to get oh. Donovan's goat. <laughs> Danovan? Danovan. Danovan's cash. <laughs> there are some people legitimately who probably can't stand me, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. They're just stupid. Have you ever found anyone like that? Well, I would assume they wouldn't listen to me, so I wouldn't know they don't like Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, but uh, I, I was going to start naming people in the besides the, the usual gang in your in your comments there, but I was like, it's probably that little kid. No, I guess he's not a little kid. He's in high school, I guess. Your friend, um, he's, he's been on your show before. I can't remember his name. Jacob? Jacob. I was figuring it was probably someone like Jacob. I'm like, well, I don't know him. I don't want to call him out and be playfully mean. Yeah. Or I don't know who Dina – or is it Dina? Or Dina is his mother. Oh is, that, oh, is that – okay. Well, she and I end up commenting in a lot of the same posts. So I'm like, obviously she's somebody in your life and she looks like an older person. And I don't necessarily mean older, older, but just she's not you know, your age. So I was like, okay, I probably shouldn't be mean around Dina. She's probably like a surrogate mother to you, I would imagine. I don't know. Uh, so trying to behave. <laughs> It was it was Tom. Oh, okay. Even though you insulted my mother, you know. I don't. I don't think so. Oh, you did. She, you know, there was the there was <laughs> you brought Shag into the world, and, and you were immediately responded to my mother going, "It's your fault. You're the one who did this." <laughs> oh no. Remember? I do. Yeah. What did she respond poorly no. to that? My mother has a very good sense of humor. Okay. I had to get it from somewhere. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. It's your fault. Maybe, well, I don't normally come out like that if I don't know someone. So was there something leading up to that? As I recall, you 
weren't actually responding to my mother's message, if I remember right. I think you were responding to the image. I see. But it posted immediately underneath my mother's. Oh. And it read as if it was responding to my mother's. And then you got horribly embarrassed, if I remember correctly. Well, as anyone should be insulting a mother. Well, you know. And apparently your mother knows about me. Wow. Well, yeah, she knows of you and and your catchphrase. Oh, no. See, now I'm not going to be welcome in the household. Eventually I get there. Eventually you'll get there. Eventually I will. It'll happen eventually. I'll never forget when you showed up um, in your cute Batgirl t-shirt and you you were genuinely mad because I guess you thought we were ditching you or something because uh, the text I had sent. You 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 sent it to the wrong person. Right. I sent it to the wrong person. But like you wanted to see my phone to make sure I wasn't telling a lie. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't trying to ditch you. That would have been sad. I don't think you'll be... When your daughter leaves, you'll be crying. You'll say boo-hoo. Yeah, I got another 10 years, so... Or 8 yeah. years till she goes. Empty nest. You know what? You're going to have to have many little Remingtons. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah. No. You're going to be... Um, what are those people called? Cat. Crazy cat people? Yeah, that's you. No, I think this is uh, this is my last cat for now. No. I've had a cat pretty much consistently since 1986. <laughs> And I, I, I know, I know. Oh, no. So you're like a, you're like my pet cat. Yeah. Uh, I have had enough of litter boxes. Oh. So I think I think this is this is oh, no. Remington is 13 now. Oh. And I love him to death, and he sleeps up in my face every night. And I think this will probably be the last one for a while. I still have a picture of him. I posted a picture of him. I said I privately texted you one. Yeah, and then I remember I put it on my little um, my. Oh, that's right. You put it on your show picture. That's right. Special guest star. That's right. <laughs> He's famous. He doesn't even know it. He doesn't. No. No. Do you ever see um, Anastasia? I think that came out when you were born. <gasps> yes, I love that. I Have love. You heard? There's a rumor in Saint. Oh my Peter. gosh! I love that movie so much. I have that soundtrack and everything. I used to. I, I've. That could be a film and water. Oh, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Film and water podcast. Let's do it. Do you think Rob will watch it with us? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. He's pretty particular about his movie, so I don't know okay. if you Well, you can continue with your, your thought. Well, it's okay. You know who bar, Bartok is then? Yes. You're like one of the only people I don't have to explain this to. My dog looks like Bartok. Oh. Because he, he, he has chihuahua ears. Yeah. Um, he looks like Bartok. It's ridiculous. Anastasia, sir, just wishing I could do the job for you, sir. I'd give her a ha, then a hi-ya, and then a whoa, and I'd kick her, sir. So, so you could cosplay as Rasputin. Thanks for that. I really appreciate that. Wow. <laughs> you could fly around. You really? could put little wings on him. I'm just, I'm just remembering what Rasputin looked like in that movie, and you're telling me I could cosplay. Is that? Thanks so much. Well, I, cosplay means you have to put some makeup uh-huh. on. I didn't uh-huh. say like you just walk outside uh-huh. and you're Rasputin. Would you like a full size shovel or just a trowel <laughs> to keep digging that hole? There? Trowel is fine. Trowel is fine. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's oh, it's your size. It's probably like a full size shovel to someone your size. It's true. <laughs> you're fun sized. I might you, feel fun- free to use that, by the way. Fun sized. Yeah. I, Mentioned it in the whole podcast, you know. I an hour ago. That you okay, good. Throw me. Well, focus more on the fun size aspect. Like, you oh, know. okay. So you should use that. It's like an adorable thing. You say, you know, those, uh, you know, those 
bags of Snickers you get, you give away at Halloween. They're called fun size. And you yes. Go, and you say, that's me. I'm fun sized. I could do that. You can pull that off and be adorable. I cannot. Oh. <coughs> oh, my Ugh. gosh. Yeah, it's not fun. I, did I tell you I went to go observe uh, Tom in his natural habitat? I, I heard Tom say you, you disrupted his class. I did not disrupt. <laughs> Is that what he said? No. Well, he may have said it as a joke, but no. He, he called said, on me. Did he really? What did he say? Yeah. Well, could you answer this question for the class? Oh, yeah. He asked me a question and I answered it. Did you get it right? Well, it was more of a discussion question. Oh, okay. It's like my viewpoint. So. so it means it was wrong. Well, it could have been. Well, According I mean, was, to you, all my viewpoints are incorrect. No, no, no. Just the ones that don't agree with mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You got to go to his class. Like, how do you do that? Like to take the day off or something and just go? Well, my, um, we were off on Good Friday and he was not. Oh, I see. Okay. So okay. I asked, um, just on a lark, I was like, hey, what are you going to be doing then? And so I asked if I could and he said, well, let me get back to you. And so he told me what their plan was, and it was a book that I've never read. So I read the book in the matter of two hours. And oh my gosh. Then, well, it was like a 100-page book or something. What grade and does he teach? 10th. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then uh, which, it was good that I read the book because I would have had no idea what was going on, really. Okay. So, yeah. It was so cute being in Barnes & Noble when people would come by and go, Hey, Mr. Panneries. <laughs> Did they do that? Yeah. I don't know. That. that was when you were oh, that's when before you got there. Yeah. Well, we had the big fun before you got there. That was sad. I was just waiting. I, I was no. sitting at my home waiting. And I'm, te- and I'm texting you too, being like, What's up, girl? Where are you at? I you know. know. Where's what's Tom doing? Tom he apparently didn't, text- didn't he get well, no, it was a group chat between you and you with the fake uh, you, the Louisiana you, and yeah. Tom. And okay. the three and Tom was responding and I was responding and we're like, why isn't she responding? And there is something like, was wrong. Well, obviously I thought you were a Louisiana girl. Yes. That's true. And then I went to Louisiana, ironically enough. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I texted you that too. That's okay. No, you did not. I did. I said I'm oh, actually in Louisiana. Right. I remember yeah. this now. Do you I remember the, the, the I love how I love the impression I make on you. What's that? The Dragon Con. <sighs> Don't bring that up. <laughs> that was bad. You started it. I did start it. That's true. That you, you ended it, though. Oh, boy. Why does the doctor always have a handmaiden? He doesn't have a handmaiden. <laughs> he, has a, a, he has a companion is the oh, term they use. But she's always female. Yes, she's always female, usually in her 20s, pretty hot. And very capable. Basically what happens is the Doctor is this alien, this unknowable character. You're never going to learn much about the Doctor. But as the audience, your window into the show is always the companion. So you get to know the companion very well. The companion gets developed. The companion actually becomes, is usually the smarter one who makes the better choices than the Doctor. Like the Doctor saves the day, sure. But throughout the episodes, usually the companion's the one who either brings the doctor back to his senses or is the one who's very, very capable. Um, the companion is your window into the series. Why? As, yeah. much, as much as you might sit there and look at the show and be like, okay, they change companions every year or two. And I'm not going to be into this one, this character, you know, this companion as much. Shockingly, it's, it's, they really pull you in. They do a great job pulling in all the heartstrings with this show. 
Uh, do you always ship the um, Doctor with his handmaiden? I am not a shipper uh, for Doctor Who, even remotely. Oh. Because the Doctor... Well, okay, keep in mind, I've been a fan since um, <clears throat> many, many years before you were born. Uh-huh. Um, and there was never any hanky-panky in the TARDIS uh, until the new series. And so for me, the Doctor's sort of asexual. He's just It's not something that interests him. He doesn't hate it or anything, but it's just not something that he's interested in. So the very idea of the Doctor hooking up with people is just like, what? Um, and in reality, it's, it's only really, in the new series, it's really only happened with two people. Please continue to bait um, Donovan and Josh. Yeah. And tell them, you know, like what a great time you had talking to me or whatever. I will. Okay, perfect. 